This episode of the East Pass podcast is brought to you by the local market here in Destin, Florida. If you're looking for an awesome place to get breakfast or lunch, the local market is just the spot. Their whole menu is amazing and is served from 7 a.m. to 3 p.m. daily. Check them out online at localmarketdestin.com or just go ahead and drop by at 950 Gulf Shore Drive on Holiday Isle. Big thanks to the local market for the support and for the delicious food. Go check them out and maybe bring some quarters because they have a pretty impressive assortment of pinball machines, too. Water's beautiful and the birds are working. We got a blue, it's gonna be over a thousand pounds, I'll guarantee you. Poof, here comes this monster out of the Gulf, you know. That's the meanest fighting fish I think I've ever fought. It gets in your blood, it's like uh, deer hunting or turkey hunting, it's like you live for it. Golly, I, chances we need back in them days, we're lucky to be here. This is the East Pass Podcast. I'm Rachel Staples, and today I'm sitting down with Captain Tommy Norritt. He's been a pillar in the local fishing community for over 50 years, doing everything from pier fishing and charter fishing to captaining private boats and catching big blue marlin. Well known and loved for his storytelling, practical jokes, and big heart, he has definitely left his mark, and I'm excited to talk to him today. Captain Tommy, thanks so much for sitting down with me. Rachel, I'm excited, I'm nervous, and I'm happy to be here. <laughs> Don't be nervous. Okay. This is going to be fun. I'm excited to do it. All right. <laughs> so to start with, why don't we go back to the beginning? How did you find yourself in Destin and getting into the fishing business? Well, I, I came from North Alabama. My dad was in the building business. Times got hard, and a gentleman named Lewis Woodham in Fort Walton offered my father a job. And we moved to Fort Walton. And Mr. Woodham had a son named Mike Woodham. And so me and him struck it off and ended up starting to fish off the bridges and off the pier. It was Crystal Beach Pier and Wayside Pier. And um, so that's where we first started. I have to tell you this about Mike. We went out on Crystal Beach Pier and we had never done this. So his daddy had a trolling boat a little cabin cruiser, and we had the trolling tackle that we carried out on the fishing pier, and everybody looked at us kind of strange that we were bringing these trolling rods out on a fishing pier. And we had Kobe lures tied on the end, and Mike, unfortunately, knew a couple of the people, K.P. Burnett, uh, Kelly Wines. They were out there, and in he was really embarrassed that we looked like a couple of rubes, you know, with our stuff. And uh, from that point on, it just kind of grew. It, it went a lot of love and a lot of friends on the fishing pier that grew into fishermen on deckhands on boats to boat captains. And that's, that's where we started. So that was the early 60s, right? Yes, 61 is when, we, and that uh, fishing pier probably was 62. Okay. And, and K.P. Burnett, Terry Burnett, Paulette Burnett, Sheila Burnett, that was the family that ran the Crystal Beach Fishing Pier. And, uh, and, and that brings a little story that Terry Burnett was a little, little man. He caught about a 500-pound shark off that pier with a plastic trolling re reel. Yeah, they, I don't know how they drug it up on the beach, but they did. And the media got a hold of it. They flew Terry to New York City. And he was on to tell the truth. And he had a bronze suntan, white eyes, 
blonde hair, and there were two other people from New York City that didn't have any of that. And, of course, they were nice. They, they let him place, and he got some money. But, uh, yeah, the Burnett family and I became kinfolks. They, they were really nice. I worked for KP later in life. But, uh, yeah, Terry Burnett. Yeah. That's pretty cool. I've never yeah. heard that story. Yeah. I have to. Yeah. I wonder yeah. if there's pictures or you, video You footage. can go on uh, YouTube and see that. It's a black and white. Pretty cute. Pretty cute. Okay. Okay. So did you ever uh, catch anything with your trolling gear off the pier? Or was oh, that the only oh, time? Oh, no. Oh, no. We, <laughs> we found out real quick that we had were not dressed appropriately. Uh, we didn't have appropriate tackle. And the part, big part of being an outdoorsman is you got to look the part. And we didn't look the part. So me and Mike both immediately went out and bought fishing tackle and sunglasses. And, you know, and, and so things changed. Things changed. Figured it out pretty yeah, quick. Yeah, yeah, real quick. <laughs> So how did you progress from, I know you said you started on the pier. How long was it before you started getting on boats? Pretty much the first, the first boat I was on was a boat named the Folly. And it docked just north of the, the Destin Bridge, uh, almost up under the Destin Bridge on the northeast side. And uh, a, boy named, a man named Mike, uh, Mike Destin uh, was the captain. And he worked on Eglin Air Force Base primarily, but he, he had grown up fishing, and he had this boat, so he started doing some charter fishing on the weekends. And his mother would drive me over to the boat, and I would go with, on the folly for a half a day or very seldom an all-day trip. And that, that was my first chance to go, and I'd get seasick every day. Oh, no. You know, every day. But I was that wasn't going to stop me. You know, I, I loved it. And he was a gracious person for, uh, you know, allowing, put up with that and put up with me. Uh, so that that was the start of it. We were looking at pictures a second ago, and there was one that it, it might have been a few years into you fishing. But on the board, it said, half day, $50. Yeah. I, I, t <laughs> I tell a lot of stories. I, I love remembering, you know. And when that one comes up, people just look at you and go, nah. You know, well, there's a sign, the black and white picture uh, of that, and I got paid $5 for a half-day trip, which was five hours long. And all-day trip was 10, uh, 10 hours, $10, $10. But, you know, everything was in – gasoline was 33 cents a gallon. You had to, what Times change. You were making plenty of money at the time. Oh, I was happy I'd have worked for nothing. <laughs> I, would, I would have done it for nothing, and you know. And a lot of times I did, just mm -hmm. going to go along, just tag along. So what was what was the fishing like then? What were y'all doing? Well, with Mike, we fished right along the beach, primarily bottom fishing. The people, that's what they wanted to do. And um, he had made some homemade reefs, and that was pretty much unheard of back in those days. There was just a lot of bottom. And... Sometimes you could even look down in the clear water and see the, the reef down there. So we were catching little snappers and, and uh, no trigger fish. We hated trigger fish. You know, we'd take the trigger fish and cut a fillet off the side, throw the wounded trigger fish in the water. A big cloud of trigger fish would come over and start nibbling on that. And we would slip our lids down to try to catch a snapper. 
We don't want no trigger fish, you know. Try to get all the trigger fish distracted and yeah, then get past yeah, them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was that was the game plan. Also, at that time, we still had people that would come to the boat and fish with a hand line, and that was an interesting concept. It had a a little piece of what looked like a wood ladder that you rolled your cord around when you stored it, but otherwise you coiled it in a little coil on the deck when they pulled the the line up and and had a, a regular bottom type rig on it and then they would pitch it over and let it un, unlay on the la- uh, deck and when it got to the bottom they'd pull it up and they'd jig it up and down and pull it back and you had a groove wore in the wood covering board where these people would pull that rope up and it had worn a groove so it had like a guide or this notch in in the side of the boat it, that that was the only boat I ever fished in that we did that. And we didn't do it much, but it was still around. What kind of line was it? It looked like clothesline. It was about by a little bit smaller in diameter than a pencil, you know. And, and it was, it may have, been, it may have been nylon. I don't think so. I, I think maybe it was, it was a, a fabric, cotton or something like that, cotton line. Um, and... Uh, and we had we had a sounding lid to check the bottom to see if it was sand or rock, and we used that a couple of times. But the ma- the main thing that we did, or I, that Mike did, was beach ranges. And, and and if you don't know what a beach range, you would line up a water tower with a red roof house, and look at that. And if you look to the east or the opposite direction, you would find another characteristic uh, a, a, a another water tower with another water tower way behind it and there was only one place on the earth where those two things happened at the same time and that put you right on top of that place so that's how we found from one place to the next was beach ranges and i had me a little book and i'd draw with a pencil my beach ranges so if i ever had a chance to go fish those places i could and uh, which, which was interesting, which was interesting. Do you still have your beach range books? No, uh, and I, when I got off of Mike's boat, I felt like that was stealing. So I left the book on the boat, and um, gosh, I can't think of this gentleman's name. Had had uh, the marina there north of the bridge. Uh, uh, anyhow, when he, he started fishing on the boat, he found my book. And he kept it for a long time. He said, I kept wanting to bring, bring it to you, you know. But, yeah, yeah, I, I left it with the captain. Um, I do have one other question about the hand line thing. Did anybody ever hook into anything that was way too big, had any business doing on a hand line? No, and, and, and we didn't fish where that would happen. We, we were basically fishing uh, close into the beach, within five miles of the beach. And uh, so, no, and... and Amberjacks weren't a sought-after fish. We were basically red snapper fishing. Mm-hmm. That was the target fish. Occasionally, we we would troll uh, for king mackerel, but um, uh, the clientele that Mike had, they wanted snappers. A lot of them. I got you. Mm-hmm. It sounds like uh, back in the day, it was not very common to go out of sight of land. Well, well, I can only tell you for me, most of the boats were. Uh, of the net fishing characteristic where these gentlemen had been using those uh, 
for the commercial type fishing. And uh, so then they found out that they could actually make a little extra money taking people fishing. Uh, and so those little boats weren't designed. This was a single engine boat, gasoline engine. The gas tank was on top of the deck, right up by the helm. It had a stick that you unscrewed the cap off the top and put a stick down in it to see how much gas you got, you know, and how much you got left. Um, pretty primitive stuff by our <laughs> standards today. The outriggers were made out of bamboo, uh, and we never used the outriggers until one time later on. And uh, they, they were party boats were the, the king of the fishing. The head boats were what really brought people to Destin. The trolling and stuff generated later on. When, did you, when do you feel like that started, the trolling? Well, it, um, immediately. You know, wasn't long after that. As soon as I got to where I could drive and got on a boat, uh, which would have been about 65, uh, the, uh, all the boats would do both. They would troll and bottom fish and king mackerel were pretty plentiful and and filled the ice chest pretty quick so we kind of pushed people to troll it, it was easier on the on the captain uh than trying to wander around and find snappers and whenever the trolling you just rode along you know rode from place to place and and it grew it, it just all grew it seemed like the the trolling was pretty action-packed at that time too well, well I have to tell you this about trolling. On just about every boat that I fished on, we uh, had a company line, and that, that was a hand line, very similar to the hand line that the people bottom fished with, and it was tied off to the cleat on the stern of the boat. And we didn't have planers yet. Uh, we had lids, trolling lids, heavy trolling lids, and we would put out a, tro a line that we – company is as in who owns the boat if we catch this it's ours oh you know, wow all home you know, <laughs> you know if we weren't catching much we'd give the people the fish but if we were we'd keep some company line did y'all yeah. tell them that was what it was yeah before? okay, okay well one of the things that would happen just naturally when you started trolling you would put the lines out and we put two long lines and two fairly short so when the captain turned the boat they would kind of keep from getting tangled up and uh People couldn't stand being with the short line. They thought you're fishing too close to the boat, and they would start letting line out. Well, you, no, don't do that. Don't do that. Don't do that. So the company line was a dead. It, it caught a lot of fish, primarily because it had a big lid on it and it was fishing deeper. You know, but we never trolled any any lids to speak of on the rods and reels. It just wasn't the time to do that yet, and um, so they thought. Well, if he's catching them on that rope right up here, I'm going to fish right up here close to the boat. So you had to stay on the people. Don't mess with it. I put it out where I want it to and leave it there, you know. Today when we go out on a charter and we put the lines out for trolling and then we put the rods into the rod holders. Mm -hmm. um, but from these stories that you're telling, it sounds like that's not how it used to operate when you oh, no. went trolling. Oh, no. The, the Most of the boats, well, all of the boats, had... Um, chairs for the the anglers to sit in to where now you don't see any chairs except a fighting chair if you're marlin fishing and uh, you had four little swivel chairs and the two in the in the center would be for the short lines and the two to the back and to the outboard would be the long lines and that's how you put out your trolling lines for king michael and uh 
and then you put it out and you gave it to the person and they could sit there in the chair and hold the rod you know and made them feel like they were fishing instead of the rod just sticking over in the rod holder and uh people just can't they couldn't stand it they had to play with the reels and one of the more common things that would happen is they would pull the little lever that free spools it and it would backlash so we, you know don't do that don't do that just leave, we put it out in a special you know and this always comes from dealing with the public you know and um then then they wanted to sit the hook you know they wanted to sit the hook or they wanted to reel it in a little closer and we had them to where the two short lines would pass under the long lines when the boat circled because we rode around in a circle with there's a, a fishing spot on the bottom everybody got a turn to go on top of the fishing spot in a circle everybody went up yeah. and uh, so if they would change the lines that mess everything up you know and so but i fished with jimmy trammell one time and he was he he was a hot-tempered guy you know and uh he took uh, one of the anglers kept playing with the rod and sit trying to sit the hook and cap trammell came down off the bridge and snatched the rod away from this gentleman and he said don't jerk on it and he stuck it back in the cup in the cup on the chair and put the rod on the man's nose and put his hand on it and he said now jerk on it and i went oh god <laughs> you know I, I, this is my first time to go fishing with mr trammell well we went a little bit further and whatnot and the, the fella you know he couldn't couldn't stand it he had to fiddle fiddle with the rod and he, so jimmy came back down took the rod away from the guy again and those boats had like a, a, a instead of a cleat they had a post on the outside of the boat to tie the boat up at the dock he made the man hold his rod over straight out the side of the boat and he put the rod aft of the post and so you couldn't pull back on it and he had to sit there and fish like that so yeah yeah crazy days crazy. did that guy no. <laughs> how did he tip was he okay <laughs> no. well for, we've got very little tips you know uh worked for jim braden's bunch down there and cleaning fish was part of the price of the trip you know, we, we didn't make the chips nothing like what they make today you know uh, uh it was uh, it was interesting i enjoyed it what was the the bait fishery like back then well uh, you know primarily for king michael fishing we troll cigar minnows we go down to, to, to bucks and get five pound box of cigar minnows and um or 10 pounds, depending on. Occasionally, we, you know, we would cut the cigar minnows up for uh, bottom bait, you know. But uh, we used skipjack. Skipjack was a, and that's an interesting thing. We had a, a lard can, a five-gallon lard can. It was a metal can, like a five-gallon bucket is today, but it was made out of metal. And uh, we would get a tray of uh, skipjacks, which was like a beer flat with about 20, 25 pounds of skipjacks and in the off time we would fillet those off and take a three or four fillets lay it in the tub sprinkle salt rock salt on it put another number of fillets and keep till you get all the way to the top snap the lid on and you could put that on the boat with no freezer no air conditioning and it would keep for a month and if during the day over the next week or two and you needed some bait to bottom fish with you pop the top off the can and pull it out 
cut it up in little squares and and uh, bottom fish with it. So that that was uh, you don't see that anymore. Oh, where'd you get your skipjacks? <laughs> uh, well, from Dewey, from Dewey okay. and Bucks, and that was an interesting thing for me. I would go down, and I was always intimidated because that was some bad them boat them net people were bad people you know? oh yeah yeah <laughs> and you know you wanted to carry a gun and a knife if you got went down there and uh miss mural dewey's wife she she was she was a mess and i'm just gonna tell you as far as tricks and whatnot she's scary you know and <laughs> you go down there to get bait or talk to those guys uh i never net fished and i kind of really wish i had uh because they, they, in their own right, did a whole different network that was essential to what we did, you know. Um, they got up way before daylight, and they worked really hard. Yeah, so going down to Destin Bait was a, a challenge in the, morning, in, the, in the morning. How did they? How did their fishery work? You want to talk a little bit about the bait fishery and what they did with the nets? Oh, uh, you know, I, yeah, sure. Uh, I think one of the more impressive things when they first, when I first in, encountered them, uh, they rode down the beach, right in close to the beach, and they were netting pompano, or they were netting uh, some bait fish, whatever they could make a dollar off of. But the same stuff for the bait fish, they would pull in close to the beach, and a guy would jump over with one end of this long net, and. Uh, they would go around the cir- the school of fish and then pull the boat in as close as they could get to, without running aground. And the other people would jump over and they would take that into the net and drag it to the beach. Well, then it was every man that was available got in the water and got a hold of the net and started dragging it to dry land and, and pulling the fish up there. And uh, then anybody, and there wasn't a lot of people on the beach back in those days, but it drew a crowd. I mean, it drew a crowd. They'd never seen anything like that. And I hadn't either, either you know. And uh, so that was, you know, one of the ways that they did it. And there was several times I remember us coming in the past on whatever boat I happened to be on. And Dewey and them would have uh, a boat loaded with fish to where it was about to sink. I mean, it was sitting so low in the water. Everybody had to just slow down to a dead idle to get get around you know that that's a fishery that i really wish i could have had more involvement with but i probably wasn't going to work that hard it sounds like super hard work oh yeah no 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 yeah and let me tell you practical jokes and whatnot they were tough tough bunch to be around oh yeah i i say this real quick one of them told me that he took uh habanero pepper and squeeze the juice over the steering wheel of one of his buddy's car so when he was driving his car and everybody wants to scratch their nose or rub their eye well they put habanero juice on their nose and their eye oh oh, oh yeah yeah i think it's pretty cool (laughs) (laughs) you know that that was the kind of guys those guys were you admired those guys yeah uh Sounds like you did a lot of pranks oh, well, while we're talking and, about. But but everybody else did too. You know, I came down to the boat and had somebody take the line on my fishing reels and pull off 
King Michael stuff, you know, not Marlin stuff. Pull off 50 feet of line and cut it in two. Put it back on the spool. Reel it back up. Okay? You go fishing. You get ready to put your lines out. Get another one. Now you got to re-rig everything, you know. Well, at least they put it at a point where you would realize it while you were putting it out yeah, and not yeah, while you were yeah, fighting well, well, a fish. Not to say there was any thought to that process. That's just the way you did it, did it there, you know. It would have taken too long to but, get farther yeah, back. Bananas in a rod holder. Take a banana, pull that, put it down in your rod holder. You pull that nasty shit on them. You know. mm, nice. They just, and uh, there's so many of those things. Well, what about one with a... Uh, that involved a truck and a tree. <laughs> well, now I heard, I heard this story. I'm not sure that I had anything to do with it, but um, Jim Stanley, our, our, my buddy Steamer, was down playing cards at the Marlboro Arena with Andy Anderson and and a few others, and and me and Jimmy Patsick kind of drove up and saw Steamer's truck there, you know, and. So we didn't want to go down and play cards, and somebody came up with the idea of taking the winch on the front of his little Toyota truck and climb up in one of those big old oak trees, you know, the big oak trees that used to be right along the waterfront, beautiful oak trees, and winch Jim's truck up into that oak tree to the point where the trailer hitch was completely off the ground. Occasionally it would just leave a little scratch in the ground as it swung back and forth. So me and Jimmy decided we'd stick around to see if anybody knew who did that, you know. And nobody came, you know, we're going, this is getting kind of boring. <laughs> <laughs> so somebody went down and told him that there was something wrong with his truck. Well, when he got back up there, bless his heart, they'd been drinking and, and he was emotionally upset that his truck was hanging in a tree and he was kind of sniffling a little bit and then he didn't know how he could get it down because he didn't have the control cable for his winch and it was up in the cab of his truck so he had to climb up on his truck and crawl in the window to get the winch cable to control his winch which he had to climb up on the top of the truck to plug it in but you know he got some other people to push out on the back and they let it down Everything was fine. Oh, everything was yeah, fine. Yeah, 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 everybody <laughs> had a good time. You know, everybody did. Yeah, I, I, I wasn't there at the end of it. Oh, I got you. You think even old Jim Stanley had a good time? Oh, hey, Steamer was a cat. <laughs> he, you, you, only thing you had to watch out for is the paybacks. You know, mm, I'm sure I mean, what goes around comes that, around. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and people would do stuff to you that didn't even know you. You know, <laughs> just just an opportunity. You have a lot of history with Harbor Docks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, can you can you talk any about, <laughs> about that? I, I spent a lot of, yeah, <laughs> I have to be real careful. Uh, I spent a lot of time right there. It, when I, my first opportunities, I was working for uh, K.P. Burnett and Buddy Gentry, who own property next door to where Harbor Docks is at now. And, um, and uh, Jack Kaysen. Jack Kaysen was uh, a boat captain back in those days, had a boat named the Tiki 2-2. And uh, he moved it moved a little office, a booking booth, had rental head boat that ran out of there. And uh, 
he would lean out the window there and I was burning off the, the hill to get all the weeds and the trash off. And Captain Jack was leaning out the window going, what the hell are you doing? You know, and I stand there with the water hose, make sure it didn't get out of control. And, and I accidentally pulled the water hose over the fire and I was standing there squirting up on the side of the hill, but the hose was draining, running over the main fire behind me, and it burnt my water hose in two. And Jack Kaysen from that day on gave me the nickname of Fire Chief. <laughs> <laughs> and the little store that he had was the first building of the Harbor Docks restaurant. When he sold it to them, that little building was the, uh, the first year or two of the life of the Harbor Docks. And uh, and I've pretty much been in and around there ever ever since. And, and most of the stuff that you would like to hear, I can't tell. Fair enough. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, can you can you tell me a little bit about the history of GNS and Harbor Docks? Didn't they kind ah, of originate there? Yes. If you go to the Har- Harbor Docks now, and on the uh, east side of the restaurant in that parking lot, there's a ramp that goes down to the docks. And at that location, Ms. Gentry, uh, Buddy's mama, had a house right there. And, uh, and in front of that house was a tackle store. And, and so I spent a lot of time going up and down that ramp. Uh, we fished out of there, you know. And, and uh, one of the interesting things was the ice truck would come by and bring 300-pound block of ice and unload it at the top of that ramp and uh, we uh, slid that 300 pound block of ice down that ramp and tried best we could to stop it from going into the water you know we were too lazy to chip it up and make two or three trips so it was (laughs) determined that we would yeah yeah but but did it ever go into the water uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. And one time it clipped off the handrail and went in. You know, yeah, don't like get in trouble like, for that. No, well, it, it just chip it up and go on. You know, <laughs> yeah. uh, but that's where Buddy uh, and Steve uh, made their bro- their partnership, and uh, Jimmy Beeson uh, took and brought a boat from South Florida, about a thirty footer, and uh, Buddy liked the looks of it and. They drafted up their own version of, of that boat, and they built two of them right there in the park, parking lot. Had a little uh, tin shed to kind of get in and out of the weather, so they built their first little 30-foot GNS boats right there. And um, then eventually they moved on up Benning and had their business there. And the input that GNS boat had on the fishing in Destin, everybody that fished in and out of Destin at one point stopped in at GNS boats for some advice, preferably free. And 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 uh, Buddy would grumble and grag and Steve would just quit what he's doing and go, What do you, what you, what can I do for you? You know, so it messed up the whole <laughs> deal. Steve Buddy didn't want to see anybody come in there, you know, but he he did. And uh they built some fantastic boats. One of the things about Steve, and I know you probably heard, heard this, every now and then he would have to quit his job at the tackle store up there for Buddy and deckhand for Buddy. And 
he'd get seasick every time he got on the boat. Mm-hmm. You know, he, he, he was not a mariner. He didn't care nothing about fishing. But if he had to go, he would suck it up and go, you know. So their relationship started in a tackle store before they were building boats. Absolutely. And Steve Sauer, as I remember it, had a Volkswagen microbus. It was a little, and, and it was painted all up. It was a flower. He was a hippie. He was he was a shown up dude hippie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, he can build a heck of a boat. <laughs> oh no! You know, wonderful, wonderful time in my life has been spent with Buddy and Steve, and and seeing what they've done, and 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 the way they do it. Yeah, good good times. Speaking of Buddy Gentry, didn't you say that? Uh, was there a plane crash? He found some stuff floating out there okay. one day. <laughs> <laughs> well. One of the things, is, there was a plane miss, missing, and then there was another thing I have to tell you first while I'm thinking about it. Buddy made the stake, mistake of on the CB radio, which is the only communication we had back in those days, uh, that he had a fish come up on his outrigger bait, and and he didn't know what it was, he, and he called it the whip. He said it about 10, 12 feet behind the bait, was this thing whipping like a tentacle out of a, a, a sea serpent or something? Well, he should have never said that, you know. <laughs> he should have known better. The Kraken. You should, yeah, you should, don't, don't say that because that's food for the fire. Well, the best that could come up with it was a thresher shark that has a long tail fin. And, but Buddy had made the mistake, you know, and, and so everybody gave him a hard time about all this sea monster stuff that he was seeing. <laughs> Then comes the time where there had been a, a, a crash of an airplane in, in the Gulf. And, you know, it, when you're marlin fishing or you're fishing out of destiny, you fish for everything at the same time. Dolphin, wahoo, bonitas. And trolling down that tide line is full of all kinds of oddities. And they troll by and they saw something bouncing up and down. They looked over it and it was a helmet. And they went, oh my gosh, you know, did this come from that crash? And being curious, you know, and whatnot, they trolled back around and they eased up there to it. And I wish I could remember who the deckhand was. I wasn't on the boat, but I loved, I knew the guys, you know. And he reached over with the gaff hook to try to pull the helmet up. And they were scared of what was inside that helmet, you know. And as they got it, it rolled over and there was nothing inside the helmet. But it, you know, it had a bubble and it got away from, them and they left it there. They, 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 they didn't want any, any more of it. <laughs> but yeah, we would see raccoons. You'd see a raccoon sitting on top of a log, and you don't want to stop and rescue the raccoon because they eat you alive. We'd throw ballyhoos or cigar minnows to him and send him on his way and hope for the best. Uh, occasionally, you'd see a couch floating, <laughs> floating around. You know. Uh, it, there's a lot to be seen out there in that Gulf that people over on the beach never get to see or appreciate. Oh, yeah. When was, we were looking through some, some pictures in newspapers earlier, and there was a Gulf Safari. When, oh. was that 60s or was that? Se- yeah, no, that, that would have been about 65. Okay, that would have been that same time period. Yeah, so what yeah. was that? What was the Gulf Safari? Well, uh, there's a gentleman, Leonard Hutchinson. He was a, a sportsman from um, the Playground Daily News. And a, and a couple of other people decided that they were going to market this offshore-type fishing. And uh, 
So they put together uh, Chubby Destin, who was the, we called him the wagon master. He, he, he was the man. He was the man in the fishing fleet. And uh, he, it was his concept. And I think they had about 15 boats. The one I was on had never been out, to my knowledge, the captain nor the boat had ever been out of sight of land. And um, so we struck out and, and went one day and had an assortment of, of people, fishing tackle, and knowledge. There's a couple of people kind of had been, been there, had a little bit. I luckily caught a sailfish. And, uh, and unluckily, I had my picture in the Playground Daily News with all these other people and my name. And uh, Mr. Bruner at Choctatchee High School had a copy of the Playground Daily News. And I had a note from my daddy that said, please excuse Tommy, he had a fever. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but who cares? You know, <laughs> you know who, who cares? And of course, he laughed and let me off and sent me back to my room. But uh, yeah, that that was quite quite. We had people on the CB radio say, "I don't know what kind of fish this is. It looks like a King Michael, but it ain't a King Michael." You know. And then another fellow said, "I don't know what we had on, but it just took all of our line. I just took all of our line. I don't know." <laughs> so it, it, it the safari. Uh, was the start of organized bill fishing, you know, and it just there were a lot of fish, and and we stumbled along. If we had the knowledge and stuff that we have today, with the fish that we had then, it would be incredible. It would just be incredible. It had to be exciting though. I mean, you're out there, and it sounds like everybody's they're trying to figure out what to do. They're seeing all these you know species they haven't seen before, trying to come up with new ways to catch them and. It sounds like a pretty exciting time. Oh, it, it, and, and I was young and dumb and, and, and just alive with wanting to be there. And, and yeah, yeah, it, it, it really was. Um, I have to, I'm, you're bringing my memory just bubbling over <laughs> here. Uh, on that boat, the Folly, with the bamboo outriggers, we were fishing with a rod and reel with 50-pound Dacron line, and it wouldn't stay clipped in the outrigger pin, which basically was like a big... Uh, clothespin, you know, none of the fancy stuff that we have today. So we put rubber bands around the the pin to keep it tight so the line wouldn't pop out. Well, a sailfish came right up there banging away banging away on this needlefish that we had rigged for bait. And, he, and finally the captain said, jerk it out for him. Mistake. I reared back and jerked to get the line to come out, and the outrigger fell in the water. <laughs> <laughs> so, the, so, so, so the, we just got out, looked at one another like, how are you fell in water? <laughs> we had time out, had to reel everything in, get our outrigger back up, put it back, put it back up. And this is a big old Calcutta pole, you know. And, uh, so but, how was the bamboo attached to the boat? It, it had a, a sleeve, like a tube that it fit down in, maybe three or four foot long. And it had a rope and a gimbal at the bottom to where we let it out and the rope would stop and it would keep it at an angle. And uh, and and then it had glass eyes to put your little line that you pull your bait in and out. Needless to say, most of the boats in Destin that had outriggers were to look like the magazine. You know, they made the boat look cool, but very, yeah, that, that was at the early stage. Finally, we figured out how to work them and then the people started selling them the uh, aluminum ones and things changed. 
So how'd that tournament end up going? Do you remember? No. Uh, well, it, you're talking about the... The one where your outrigger fell in the that, water. That was a safari. That, that was, was the oh, safari. Yeah, oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I don't think me, Mike, I don't think we ever went back offshore with me working them for that gentleman. That was just a one-time deal. And, uh, but, but yeah, that, that, you know, we were really ready. <laughs> we're really ready. So after that, did you primarily keep doing bottom fishing? Were you moving to other boats that were going offshore? Well, I, I, like I said, I, I got wheels so I could drive. And, and, and then I got whoever would take me, you know, whoever would let me go fishing. And so that went from one boat to the next or, or uh, whatever. And um, I worked for Braden Boat Service, uh, Mr. Jim Braden. And he had a little motel uh, right there, kind of across the street from where AJ's is at now on the north side. And he had a little fleet of charter boats. He was from Alabama and had moved down, had a little motel. And then he'd got boats. He had a boat named the Windy Girl, the Swan the Riptide, and the Crosswinds. And these were all single-engine boats. And um, and basically, we took people bottom fishing and trolling. You know, bottom fishing and trolling. King Michael and Snappers. King Michael and Snappers. The Crosswinds, later on, we started offshore fishing. And, uh, uh, and we did well. You know, we, I didn't catch my first blue marlin for several years. We didn't, we didn't have the means. We didn't know what we were doing. You know, we may hook them, but we we had a hard time catching them. Other people did, but I, but I was having bad luck. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so you said you were you were driving at that point. When did you start? When did you get your captain's license? Oh gosh, uh, I want to say probably sixty eight. Okay, sixty nine early on, and, and just to have them. I didn't know what I was doing, but uh, there was a school that came, and so I went to the school and got my captain's license. And um, then along came the Vietnam War conflict, and I ended up going in the service. And so as soon as I came back home from that, uh, I started actively uh, trying to use my captain's license. And uh, later on, that pretty much put me in the private boat uh, category. I I never had a charter boat of my own. I always deckhand, or I would fill in and run a charter for somebody here and there. But I never had a season where I was a full-time captain of a charter boat. Uh, I fished, but I was primarily uh, private boat fishing. Were you more drawn to that and looking in the private boat industry, or is that just the job that you came across? Well, the private boat thing gave me a lot more flexibility. Uh, I could, I could kind of fish when I wanted to. And, and do other things. Uh, it also tend to give me people with more modern, updated, glamorous, for the lack of a better thing, uh, job. And and um, so I was all over that, you know. So you I, didn't have any bamboo outriggers on your private No, boats. no, no. But, <laughs> but, but I did go to work uh, for a fellow named Bill Parsons. And, and act, when I later found out he didn't own the boat that he that I was working on, but I thought he did, and and um, belonged to Sullivan Long and Haggerty out of Birmingham, and uh, it's it's interesting. It's, it's it, he uh, had two uh, Caterpillar engines in it. It was a GNS boat, about the third one that they built, a thirty footer. It had two 
Caterpillar engines that were truck engines. And Mr. Parsons was doing a big construction job, and he had a negotiation with people that supplied Caterpillar equipment, and they mysteriously gave Buddy Gentry two Caterpillar engines to go in this boat that wasn't his. <laughs> yeah, if you can follow all of that. And, and, um, and, and it was named the 100 Proof, you know. And uh, so everybody asked him, where did he get the name 100 Proof? Well, Bill could be 100 Proof at times. And, and so it, it was a fun, it was a fun thing. It was a fast little boat. Uh, they liked to offshore fish. Uh, that's what I wanted to do. And so, yeah. And then that moved up to a, a, a 48 GNS and a, a gentleman from uh, Livingston, Alabama. And, uh, and we traveled to the Bahamas. And so that was the circuit. Uh, was that the Hildegard? Was that the no? No, no this was, was the Makaira. That was the Makaira. Okay, so you went from the Hunter Proof to the Makaira was the mm-hmm. next boat that you went yeah, to. Yeah, and then it, it, the Hildegard, uh, bring that up, uh, my, my old buddy Jimmy Patsick. Jimmy Patsick, me and I were buddies for a long time. He was running the Hildegard, and he needed a deckhand to fish uh, the Panama City tournament. And so I, that was me. And long, long came uh, the owner, and I'm, uh, Mr. Watson, I think, yes, Watson. And he came down, and he had a friend from uh, around Anniston, Alabama. And we went off and fished this Marlin tournament. Well, Jimmy was supposed to go over and put some money in the Calcutta, but he didn't want to drive to Pensacola. So he did. And we didn't put no money into the Calcutta. And the first morning, about 8.15, we get a bite, and it's a big old blue marlin, you know. And the owner was asleep on the couch, and the guest, Mr. Dud Watson, was uh, there. So we put him in the chair, and he caught his first saltwater fish. And, and if I'm not mistaken, the weight was 6.46, and at that time, that was a monster fish. And... Um, we uh, started in, we wanted to make sure we didn't break down with that fish, so we came in early. And I, I got Mr. Watson off the side. I told him, I said, now you, you need to be ready for this. This is going There's going to be a big crowd at the Municipal Auditorium in Pensacola, and this is a nice fish. And, and they're going to be talking and filming, and so don't let it intimidate you. Have a good time. So we did. We get in there, and Two, three people got down to drag the fish off the boat, and they didn't have uh, cranes or had to manually do it at that time, and drug that fish off the boat and weighed it. And the TV announcer came over and put a microphone in front of Mr. Watson, and he said, Mr. Watson, he said, that's a, that's a beautiful fish. He said, uh, are you going to mount that fish? And he said, oh, no. No, no, sir. See, it teared wall down in my house. <laughs> well, and I, it, 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 and I was just standing back watching and going, and the, and, the, and the crowd just came alive, you know. <laughs> oh, my God, who is this guy? You know, <laughs> bless his heart, he was as good as can be. Well, the, the announcer was wanting to get tickled with it, too. And so he said, uh, Bud, he said, uh, he said, no, my name's not Bud. He said, my name's Dud, D-U-D. 
and and the people in the stands were starting to get up and clap, you know. Uh, so, but anyhow, <laughs> we we ended up winning that fish. Didn't win any money. Won won a big coffee table, and uh, and and another story. Another of the stories to tell. Did the boss think that there was money in the Calcutta? I think Jimmy was. We didn't even fish the next day. The second day, I'm not sure what happened, but I don't think it was good. <laughs> That's rough. No. What, year, what year was that? Oh gosh, it all runs together, you know. And that would had to have been late seventies. Okay. Late seventies, early eighties, something like that. And the Pensacola tournament at that time, there wasn't but about three or four tournaments that were around. Uh, that was a, a you know a big tournament. Had a lot of boats. They had. Uh, flare start everybody all the boats would be in the uh, in the bay over in pensacola they'd shoot a flare and it was every man for himself trying to get out the pass they quit doing that after a couple of years it was dangerous you know everybody trying to leave go fishing at the same time was that back when they were y'all leaving at like midnight or what what was the departure time at, at that one it was day it was a it was a daylight okay launch because they, they wanted to have uh when i was running that little hundred proof boat i was fishing that and uh, a helicopter almost took my buggy top off, flying over the top, scared me to death. I was right, hanging on for dear life with all these boat wakes trying to run and get through, and then this helicopter run across the top oh and scared me to death. Uh, it was a great adventure. Oh, great, my goodness. Great adventure. Yeah. Well, you saying that, we might be backing up in time talking about this, but there's a picture. Um, it's in Bass Pro, too, actually, and talking about the top of the boat, it made me think about it. That Kobe fishing picture, was that – 60s or was that 70s where y'all oh. are on the beach with the cobias oh that's 60s that's 60s yeah um yeah let me look at so we were looking through pictures a second ago you're talking about the one the little boat with the outboards yes yes yeah yeah that was that was probably 64 something like that and and, and that picture's in bass pro shop you know for all the people to see mm-hmm. and um it uh it was a great thing. There was a gentleman that had that was from Birmingham. Clarence Ray was his name. And uh, he loved to fish and bring a couple of his buddies. And this was a 18-foot or 19-foot outboard with two 33-horsepower motors on it, which was pretty unusual, but not at the time. And I would stand on the bow of that 18-foot boat with a spinning rod under my arm and the other arm holding on to a rope tied to the bow cleat so I wouldn't fall overboard. And we would ride down the green reef, look for Kobe. And we caught them. I mean, we they were enough of them around that we could stumble into some. In, into some. But I, I was telling you earlier, uh, one of the things that I learned is when I saw a fish to not say anything, not to get anybody excited, the first thing I did was go, turn the motor off. <laughs> Because they would get excited and throttle it, and, and it was all I could do to keep from falling in the water, you know. <laughs> I, I love that picture. It's lo- a great picture, uh, yeah. yeah. In yeah. the boat, there's no, you know, there's no tower. There's Looks no like a hard boat. top. Yeah, you're just riding on the bow. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, there was a lot of that. I wasn't the only one that did that. I mean, then there were people taking two-befores and building ladders on, out of two-befores on a little boat like that. Other people would take a step ladder and pin it on there and tie it down. Yeah, anything to go fishing. When did you start seeing towers? Uh, well, the, the Hunter Proof, okay. the, the little okay. GNS boat, Buddy and them put a little tower on that. 
and uh, oh yeah, 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 that 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 was nice. Did they do that from the first thirty yeah, foot one they put a all, tower? All on? of those boats. A boy named Jimmy Beeson came up from South Florida, and he had a little thirty foot wood boat, and and it had a tower on it, and um, he caught a lot of fish. He caught a lot of fish, and then that that sit that size that, that kind of was what Buddy modeled his GNS boat at, after. Okay, uh, and yeah. So that once you had to have a tower, and then the taller the tower, the taller the tower, you know, <laughs> it, it, always better. Uh, you know, one one bottom machine, another bottom machine, to now the sonar machines to technology. You know, just constantly coming along. So when you got on the hundred proof, is that when you started tournament fishing? Did y'all yes. do it on there? Yes, yes. Uh-huh. Did you do Bill Fish and Cope? Did y'all do any Cobia tournaments? Oh yeah, yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. I I think. Cobia fishing was really started for me is off the pier. I mean, it, that was you to catch catch a 40, 50, 60 pound fish, you know, off the pier, and we caught a lot of them off the pier, uh, and all on spinning rods. It was it was a great adventure, and during a full day, when I first started fishing off the pier, you might see six boats. Period, all day long. They, nobody nobody was doing it. Well things changed fast and we'd start seeing more and more and more boats and so then i focused myself on people that liked to cobia fish you know on a boat and had a boat and and uh and then that that's a whole different line of, of conversation uh catching the cobias a lot of etiquette a lot of a lot of fist fights a lot of you know one get in front of the other one you know go too fast by or those were my fish don't throw up that yeah. that's Wayne Fisher talked about that when I talked to him too is he kind of stressed how the etiquette was back then there was definitely an appropriate way to do things oh yeah yeah I have you you, you make me think another thing uh Rip Miller uh good good buddy of mine and we had been Dale Owens good buddy of mine uh we were out on a little boat I had called the Otter and we had made us a homemade cobia out of a piece of PVC and a brown trash bag. And they put on some 100-pound fishing monofilament and let it out behind the boat. And if we'd go along and speed the boat up a little bit, that PVC would come up to the top of that brown paper sack. And it really look, didn't look like a cobia, but it damn sure was different. And so they had to throw at it, you know. <laughs> So we would maneuver ourselves up to where these other boats coming by, and when they get just about in range, we'd speed up a little bit, and the decoy would pop to the top. Well, poor little old Rip, he got tangled up in, in our project, and he, he kept saying, "Tommy, Tommy, there's a big one right behind you, right behind you, right, right behind you," and we would slow down and it sink down, you know. He goes, "Man, he's right here somewhere." Speed up, here, here he is, here he is, there he is, you know. <laughs> And and he had a he had a charter he had a party on another outboard type boat, and uh, so uh, after a couple of episodes of that, uh, and him telling me I, I pulled up and stopped and we were both sitting dead in the water talking across from one boat to the next, he said Tommy if I didn't know any better I would say that's a seal it it it, it didn't really look like a cobia but it, it could have been and so I told Dale I said. Pull that up there and let's see it. So he held that piece of pipe up with that bag on it and held it up in front of Rip and said, doesn't look like a seal to me. 
Um, oh gosh, the party just fell out laughing. <laughs> they thought it was funny. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. And poor little old Rip had to live with that one to to his last day. Oh man, yeah, that's yeah. pretty funny. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. A lot of etiquette in the Kobe fishing. I um, yeah, I hear a lot of story about jokes and stuff that y'all played back in the day. I did. I hear one. Did y'all stuff a chain? In a cobia, like a well, now y'all is is really, <laughs> yeah. It, I don't think we ought to use y'all. Okay, was there a person? <laughs> Think, things were known to have happened, and uh, this particular time, a fish was weighed at Marina Point, and it weighed about seventy something pounds, and so then the boat went down to the harbor docks, which was happening to have a tournament going on. And um, and so while they were there to have lunch, and, and, and somebody took a tow chain out of their four-wheel drive truck and and commenced to poking it down the stomach of this cobia, and it swallowed it all, you know. <laughs> and and um, so uh, now now this Scott Woodward is who is a wonderful guy and would never do anything like this. Uh, was a deckhand on that boat and he really didn't want to drag this fish over to the scales because they were having a tournament i said just go over there and just tell them you want to weigh your fish and so they drug the fish over there and a um, big crowd of people hanging over, you know just watching the weigh in and stuff they weighed the 70 something pound fish to 93 pounds took the lead in the tournament <laughs> everybody was just who yawn and you know excited this is a new leader and and, and um so one of the rules of the tournament was that you, you had to gut the fish. And uh, the gentleman that gut the fish that stuck a knife right in the appropriate hole in the bottom of the fish. And, uh, and he pulled his knife out real quick and he says, something's not right, something's not right. And, and you know, I, I'm going, Man, I, I don't know nothing myself. And, and uh, he stuck his finger up in that hole and he pulled it out and it was the end of that chain, the very end of it. Well, it scared the hell out of him, and he let it go. <laughs> well, when he let it go, 20 foot of chain comes streaming out of the bottom of that fish into a big puddle, right? right, right, right. It looked like an aircraft carrier anchoring, you know, in the, in the harbor. Well, people, you know, people, well, you're cheating, you're cheating, can't believe this qualifying, this qualifying. What made it even better, the fellow that might have put it, might have put that chain in there, was the rules committee on that tournament that they were in? Oh, really? Oh, yeah. Uh huh. And, and but we weren't fit. We weren't entered into the tournament. So yeah, stuff like that happened occasionally in Destin. Well, did the crowd end up getting a little bit of a kick out of oh, it? Oh yeah. And then a couple of people didn't get the whole story, so they were mad. But ah, they get over it. You know. It sounds like it was entertaining. It's yeah. pretty impressive that somebody could fit that much chain into it. Oh yeah. Ecovia. Well, if if people could finagle. They would. There was all kinds of. It wasn't just that story. Everybody's got a story like that. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh huh. So you were cobia fishing tournaments. You were bill fishing tournaments. You mentioned that was it the Makara y'all took to the Bahamas. Yes. Did were you tournament fishing down there? Yeah, we would. We fished Walkers uh, primarily. Walkers K, and and then later on we would go. Uh, to um, tre Treasure K 
and, and in that area and fish tournaments down there. And and most of that was entertaining guests of the people that owned the boat. It wasn't any charter fishing. It was all private, you know, organized stuff. And uh, I would the company would have the plane fly in and bring people. They'd stay three days. The plane would come in and pick those up and drop other ones off. And uh, so we, we did island hopping. We did fishing, a, a little bit of it all. You stayed down there for a while then? While yeah, it, as it. a general rule, we'd go down there in, in March, April, May, be back up here 1st of June. That's when things were starting to pop back in the, in the Gulf. Were you, the first time you went down there, were you the captain? No, I was, I was the mate. I was, I was the mate uh, the first time, and that was with a Mr. Drayton Pruitt, who later owned that GNS, okay. and he had a boat named the Sting, and and I went down and fished with him and Dale. Okay, so you got to observe it before. Did you end up driving down there too, some? Or were you, oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I mean, it, it was a whole different thing. In Destin, we have about a four-inch tide, high to low, not much. You go to Apalachicola, you got two foot. And then you go to the Bahamas and you got other tides. And it, it, you leave Destin and you're in a whole different world. So it, the way they fish, uh, what you have to do with your boat, the clear water and riding along and seeing crabs on the bottom and you're going to run aground and you're holding your breath that you don't. Uh, that, that was a big part of the Bahamas for me. It was a great adventure. <laughs> I have to tell you this real quick. Uh, traveling down to the Bahamas. We were still in the state of Florida, and we were going through the intercoastal waterway going across the state. Uh, and I had been running the boat, you know. I had to have a sandwich, and, and the owner said, I can, I can, I can hold it. You know, I said, put your finger on this chart. Every buoy you go by, you move your finger, and you look up there because this is, you know, this is a lot of shallow water right here. Oh, God, I got it. I got it. I got it. I got it. And so— I went down, got my sandwich, and I walked back up, and as I climbed up the bridge, it was like, oh, no. You could see them standing, looking, and I don't, and, and it was clear they didn't know where they were at, you know, and I went, oh, God. So I lunged for the, the wheel, and as I pulled it out of gear, we run aground. <gasps> uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so we sit there. uh all day, basically. And while we were sitting there, uh, a little boat rode by and a couple of guys in it, and they rode a circle around us. And, it, you know, that's embarrassing as hell. And uh, and you could hear one of them go, that's a GNS boat right oh, there. Oh, really? I <laughs> know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, no. Was it the Makaira? Yeah, the yeah, the Makaira? yeah it, was, it was the Makaira. The well, I got off the boat. I went down, got in the water, and got the anchor. And I carried the anchor as far as I could carry it, hold my breath and walk on the bottom till I could get that anchor out there and put it down. When I get back to the boat, get to the winch and pull it snug. And then instead of people being nice and run by and draw a big wake, which is what I was looking for, they would slow down and uh. look, you know. You know. <laughs> <laughs> they were being courteous. But when we finally got, got some water tide down there which they have a lot of we lucked out and we got some tide and we pulled off and we did, had not hurt a thing yeah and it was like oh gosh <laughs> did how quickly did word get to Destin that that had oh, I, you know I I'm sure it was before we got off the bottom yeah you know how fishermen are yeah yeah yeah, yeah. buddy and Steve say why you why you run what'd you do to my boat yeah yeah no no so when did you end up 
we've talked about the Hunter Proof, the Hildegard, the Makaira. There was one called the Wheel Estate. Was that way yeah. later on, or no, is that? No, that was in the middle of that. My buddy Dennis Adams, he 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 had fished with me on the Makaira, and then he got him a boat and and allowed me to be his captain, and that was a uh, change in my career. It, it turned out my dad was a builder, and I had my contractor's license as well. And uh, so I would find myself building a house for somebody. They'd buy a boat, and I'd run the boat until they found out how much boats cost. And, and, and then I had to go build another house somewhere, <laughs> you know. Uh, but, yeah, the Wheel Estate and Mr. Dennis Adams, we had, we had a great time down in the Bahamas, too. I have to tell you this about Mr. Adams. Let's hear it. We caught a, he caught his first blue marlin with me. And, uh, and we came back in, and, of course, we had a bunch of men on the boat that were business associates. And Dennis is a pretty good-sized fella. And uh, I uh, was trying to figure out how I was going to throw his ass in the water because that's what you do when you catch first blue marlin. But I didn't know exactly how that was going. So I told him, I said, Dennis, if you got a minute, I want to show you something about the swimming pool. And uh, so he came, walked over there to his new house with his new swimming pool. And... Uh, I looked over. I said, do you see that crack down there? I said, there's a crack in that swimming pool. And he got it. I said, right down there. And he leaned over and he looked. And when he did, I pushed his ass in the water. <laughs> Does that count in a swimming pool? <laughs> oh, yeah. That was as good as I could get, it, you know. <laughs> and, and so uh, it wasn't throwing him in the harbor. But this is a big man. And I'm a little guy, you know. So, so anyhow, when he popped the top, I went, uh. Oh, you could. I thought. I think I may have gone too far. He wasn't happy. <laughs> well, no, 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 no. He, he, he. But the bad thing about these practical jokes and stuff, if you're friends, they get even with you. So later in life, I was at a hunting camp that he accidentally owned, and so I went to bed early. And when I got up to go fishing the ne- or hunting the next morning. My boots had been filled up with water and put in the freezer. Oh. Yeah, so I hunted in tennis shoes that, oh, that night. Yeah, that's rough. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. But that the fishing people always had something going on between them. But, but if you broke down, if you had a problem, as a general rule, any of them across the board, if they could pitch in and help you. They used to have fish fries all the time for people in, in stress and in need. And a, a fraternity of people uh, was great to be involved with. They, they, all in all, the fishing people were, you know, my kind of people and oh, what yeah. I wanted to be. Yeah. I mean, even now there's here in Destin, we have a, a fisherman's fund for, you know, some if something happens and someone needs some funds, they all always band together and they'll do fish fries and stuff, too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You mentioned Dennis Adams' first blue marlin, which made me think earlier when we were talking, you were saying it took you a few years to... Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh. Now, let, me, let me tell you, and I worked for a fellow that um, had a short fuse, and, and he was had the Cloud Nine, Andy Anderson. He was a firecracker, you know, and a good fisherman, and, and he put up with me. But after we had just flubbed him up one every way you could to, to lose him, we finally get a blue marlin, and it looks like we're fixing to catch this thing, you know. And and I had t- two flying gaffs, one laying on each side. And we don't have two mates. We have just me. And I'm wiring this fish up, and I gaff him twice with two gaff hooks, put a 
tail rope on him. And he said, is there anything else that you want to <laughs> And the fish was like a 150-pound fish. But but I was young. I was excited. And by God, I was going, you know. You got it done. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. Did you get thrown in after that one? Well, yeah. You get. I got thrown in by Tommy Brown's crew one time because I said somebody needs to get thrown in for catching a big shark like that. And they chunked my butt right in the water. You seemed like the one that needed to go yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. Andy Anderson, that's a name I hear a good bit, too. Um, we're looking through pictures. That was him with the spearfish? Yes. Is that right? That's right. That's right. Yeah. So y'all caught a short-billed spearfish in the Gulf. Yeah, and, and we thought it was a blue marlin. We tagged it, and we had a, as it turned out, we had a great profile picture of it. And maybe a year later, I was showing that picture to somebody, and they pointed out that it, that ain't a blue marlin, that's a spearfish. Or well, duh, <laughs> you know, and yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. A- Andy and we caught the first yellowfin tuna brought into Destin uh, uh, with Andy. It was about a seventy pounder, and somebody had uh, decided that they would have a trophy for the first bluefin tuna, first yellowfin tuna, first tarpon, several several different species, and and, and a trophy. And so we got a trophy for our fish, and David Gerard who had a boat named the Bill Fisher, uh, he won the trophy for the first bluefin. And it weighed about 9 pounds and 11 ounces. But it was a bluefin. Really? Yeah. <laughs> of course. And he got a trophy that weighed 14 pounds, I think, or something like that. And the trophy was bigger than his bluefin tuna. So but even it, at that size, it's distinguishable? It, it's obviously a bluefin? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and that was it. But, but it was. And if you trolled along out there for bonitas and stuff like right now, they're catching blackfins uh, close to the beach here right now today. And um, so, yeah, and bluefins spawn in, in, the, in the Gulf. And... And he happened to catch one, <laughs> but it was kind of funny that he got this great big trophy for this little bitty fish, uh, you know. So yeah. how far offshore were y'all when you caught your yellowfin that you brought uh, in? We were around most of the time that we're talking about. We fished not much further than the canyon, which is sixty, sixty-five miles, seventy miles, you know, and um, we didn't go much further than that. But after that, uh, things changed. Faster boats, more fuel, start wandering further offshore. Uh, then, uh, oil, they had it. They had a test oil rig south of Destin that was about twenty-five miles, uh, and then just south of it was a, another oil rig. And they came. They were drilling just to see if there was any oil south of Destin. So we got to have a, an exposure to them. And I caught a couple of blue marlins by the one that was further offshore. It was only in about 100 fathoms of water, but uh, it, it had bait. It had fish fish around it. Uh, so yeah. how long were those out there? They they maybe two years. They were jack up rigs. They had legs that would go down, and they pull the legs up, and they tow the tow the the rig somewhere else. Exploratory uh, right. rigs. Yeah, yeah, it, but. As the politicians and stuff, and we don't have any rigs, you know, off of Florida, which good and bad. Good, you got to look at both sides of that one, you know. There's definitely both sides to it. Oh yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. It, it, we all know about the rigs over off of Louisiana and stuff. So yeah. So when you were doing these private boats, the tournament fishing, had you kind of moved away from bottom fishing, or did you still do some bottom fishing? It, it's a better captain 
that bottoms fish. That there's a lot more to it. You got to hold the boat on top of the fish. You got to know where the fish are at. They move from here to the move. You have to move. You have to be a better captain, in my opinion, to be a day in, day out bottom fisherman. To where the marlin fishing at our time, one, we just wandered around. We we didn't have the oil rigs to fish around, and uh, so you just went out and hopefully you found some fish to fish around. to where with the bottom fishing, you got to know where you're going to go that day and whether they're going to be there. So I didn't do a lot of bottom fishing. I wasn't that good at it. Well, I think it's hard to, you know, if if you're not out there constantly doing right. it to exactly. stay that's on what, top of that's it. That's what I'm saying. That's what I mean. They may have been there last week, but they're not there this week, you know. And you go trawl, and now you're out there with anything. Mm-hmm. Anything, yeah, yeah. So how long was your private boat career you started what early 70s you said when you got back from yeah Vietnam? early 70s uh i uh probably 90 no probably 35 or 40 years 35 somebody, 40 yeah, years yeah it's because if somebody wanted me to go fishing with them tomorrow I, i'd probably if they take me i'd go with them <laughs> so you're still fishing <laughs> yeah i would i'd like to think that that isn't going to happen uh, one of the things i wanted to mention to you about is spending the night in the Gulf. Now, in the early days, we didn't have boats with enough fuel to go very far. We didn't have boats that had generators, you know. We had a lot of boats that were single engine. So venturing out 60, 70 miles was risky. And, and uh, so the deal was that we would put a sea, an- sea anchor out. And And if you're not familiar with what a sea anchor is, it's basically a a parachute in the water and it blossoms out like it would be full of air and it stops the boat from drifting or kind of holds it bow into the wind and uh, so then this deal come along where can I tie up to you well okay and and uh, so we would have as high as 12 or 15 boats tied together in a string with one par- regular parachute that would have been stolen from Eglin Air Force Base or something, you know, <laughs> not sure exactly where it might might have come from, and and uh, and go to bed, go to sleep, you know. Supposedly somebody'd stay awake all the time, you know, and uh, and sometimes the weather would get rough, and then what really worse is the day that it wouldn't get rough, it would get slick calm. And then the boats would start just wandering around, <laughs> and you'd wake. There'd be a boat in front of you that's tied to the boat in front of him that's tied behind you. That's you know, yeah, yeah that was a, not a smart thing to do. <laughs> <laughs> so you just make sure, hey, boat number three, y'all have somebody awake right now, right? Or, <laughs> or somebody would just untie you, so they could untie them, and they'd leave. Now you got two strength. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that that didn't last too many years, but that was part of the great adventure, you know. Did y'all ever do any sword fishing while you were out there? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And and that was a new fishery. Um, I wish I could remember this marine biologist's name from Panama City. And they had they took a, a bell out and dropped it over the in, in and around the DeSoto Canyon. And this fella printed a report, and he said the, cor- the swordfish were stacked like cordwood. Yeah, he said they were just a solid layer of swordfish. Whoa. Well, when he printed that, everybody said, well, we're going to try to catch some of them swordfish. And they did. Uh, and then the commercial fishermen, longliners and stuff, and they 
put a pretty, pretty good lick on the on the swordfish. Uh, and, and and they don't now. You know, uh, it's it's a good fishery. It, it and you could fish at night and fish at day. So, when was that that he wrote that about the swordfish being it, stacked out? It there? had to have been. Uh, Mm, probably in the 80s, early 80s, and and, and uh, I, but it was an article out of the Marine Lab in in uh, Panama City. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, and I think I think mid 80s is when they started kind of doing a swordfish management plan. They really weren't even planning to, but then, like you said, the, the fishery really picked up, and the commercial fishermen and selling them. It, they're delicious, obviously. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and, and let me tell you, they're a gorgeous fish. If you ever are blessed with being able to see a swordfish in the daytime, in the daytime, they're brilliant blue. It, it, just cruising along, swimming along kind of lazily as here's this beautiful fish. Uh, and at night, well, you don't get to see all that. You know, it, it, but if you ever get to see one in the daytime, it's a totally different looking animal. It's like a marlin that's lit up and not lit up. You know, when it's lit up, you try. To, you, you would understand. You've seen it. It's mm-hmm. an incredible thing. It really is. So while you were doing all this fishing, mm-hmm. you also were doing construction. Yes. Right. Mm-hmm. So you've probably been a part of a lot of the things around Destin. Well, you know, I I did some stuff. I built a couple of two or three houses for Dale Beebe. Okay. And and we had an ongoing little joke that I'd build him a house and his wife would take it and you know and <laughs> build another house and you know. <laughs> I built a house for Gary Jarvis, another, another fisherman. Uh, you know, I I built several homes for my friends, mm-hmm. you know, a, bit, a house for my buddy Jimmy Patsick, and and uh, I enjoyed doing that. Uh, and then as lifetime uh, went along, after I built a house for Mr. Pruitt, it had the Makaira, uh, you know, and I'd build a house and they'd get a boat and they'd get to sell the boat and get rid of me, and and that was the way it went until just a few years back, and I built a house. Uh, out in Walton County for a gentleman from Memphis, Tennessee, and that was a two and a half year project. And he didn't want to buy a boat. Oh man! <laughs> yeah, you, you believe that? Uh, yeah, uh, uh, but yeah, I enjoyed I enjoyed the camaraderie amongst build construction people is very similar to that of fishermen. They they if they like their trade and, and they like the job. They stand around the truck in the afternoon, or they gather around the boats and talk and visit. And, and and that was my. I wanted to be right there in the middle of it. You know, I, I enjoyed both of those. That's part of all of it too, the camaraderie in, in the fishing oh. community. Yeah, a- absolutely. Uh, uh, I I got to meet a lot of people that if I had had any other type of job, I would have never had a chance to meet, just because. You get so many people paraded in front of you, and you're on a boat, and there's things to talk about. And sooner or later, you find out that you got stuff that you both like. You know, Um, yeah. I love my fishing days, and I love my building days. I've been a I've been a blessed, lucky boy. But let me let me tell you. I got to tell you this. I want to hear it. (laughs) I 
I stopped in at Marina Point. Marina Point was a pretty unique little marina, and uh, and it was right there as you first turn into the harbor. A boy named Lou Vegas had it, and he had an all-woman crew. Only women worked at that marina except Lou, and he didn't do anything. They did. The girls <laughs> did all the work. And uh, so I pulled in there one day and and got me some diesel fuel, and I said something to Lou. I said, you have a problem with your customers fraternizing with your help? And he said, well, I, I don't know that I really want but I can't stop it. So I met this little lady there that ended up being my wife. And, uh, and, and that's been the other big blessing to me, you know. Her daddy run a marina. I thought that's pretty good. That's a pretty good idea, you know. Uh, she liked <laughs> she liked she liked Labrador retrievers, and I, I thought that was a pretty good idea. So so I'll give it a shot, and uh, so that's that's the other major thing in my life. And that was how many how many years ago y'all been married? About thirty. Oh, I'm putting you on the spot. <laughs> yeah, about thirty five. Okay. Somewhere in that neighborhood, real close. Worked out pretty well. Yeah, 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 yeah. But I came back from the Bahamas one time, and somebody had taken a, a you know what a dauber is for playing bingo? Okay, yeah. You know, you put a little mark on a piece of paper. Mm-hmm. They had polka dotted my damn Labrador Retriever. Oh, no. Yeah, uh-huh. What color was the Labrador Retriever? Yellow. Was it, it had to be yellow to be able to see it, okay. Yeah, 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 with brown dots all over. But, now, you know, and they weren't even fishermen. Just... just Welcoming me back to death. Oh, was that someone that was also employed at the marina? Yeah. That, that you, <laughs> you know, there were no sacred ground, you know. Uh-huh. Fit right in is what it sounds yeah. like. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. And that's nicer being down there at the docks. Y'all could spend time with each other in passing, too, in and out and everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's listening and talk. There's just, this could go on forever. You know, <laughs> I, I love it. I love it. Well, what else you got then? <laughs> well, you know, my problem is that I love it, but I'm at the age now that I forgot what we were talking about uh. five minutes ago. <laughs> oh, I have to t- I was uh, in this army, went to Vietnam, left Vietnam. I was on an ocean-going tugboat, and uh, I went to Sada Hip, Thailand on that tugboat. And uh, I was the only person on that tugboat other than the skipper that ever, had ever been on a boat. Had truck drivers, artillery people, you know. Got to the uh, Thailand and looked, and somebody had wrote Florida on the seawall. Yeah, you know, graffiti. Oh, I wonder who that would yeah. be. Yeah, and and so I asked that question. I said, "Who's who's here from Florida?" And that fellow said, and "There's a, a a little bit of guy over there from some fishing town in Florida. I, I don't, you know." So it turned out it was Rick, little Rex Chamberlain from Destin, Florida. Really? Yeah. Was yeah. he still there? He was there when he you got He was still there? there. So I hunted him up, and we became buddies for a week. And um, he came back to Destin, and um, and we had been friends, you know, before. But it, of all the silly connections and stuff, here you are halfway around the world and bump into a fishing buddy. That's crazy. Yeah. Uh-huh. Was he on a boat over there, too? Uh, was he? Yeah, yes. He, he was in uh, – he's still in the Army. He was still in the army. I was in the army, and and he was uh, in a, a boat squadron there uh, that worked in and out of that marina. Uh, but uh, I was on an ocean-going vessel. He was on one that was basically coastal stuff. Yeah. How long was like the longest stint you think you did 
without coming into port when you were working on that vessel? We we hopscotched around and stuff. I think there was a 18-day trip that we, we left uh, uh, Vietnam and went to Singapore. And that maybe. But now let me tell you, we were going eight miles an hour. It takes a long time <laughs> to go anywhere at eight miles an hour. But but uh, that was that was, and we fished. I, I brought fishing to the tug army tugboat, and you know, I had two hand lines off the back of that tugboat. We caught dolphin, wahoo, tunas, uh, barracudas, trolling while we're towing a big barge that had a army tank or whatever we were pu- pulling around so yeah so and the cook staff were filipinos and okinawans and so they loved me you know i was catching fish i'd fillet it off they would get mad because i was throwing the carcass <laughs> over the side <laughs> don't do that anymore you know i bet y'all were eating good oh yeah 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 we 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 were mikhail's navy of the army you know it was just uh we we had a good time too. How big was the crew on that boat? 31, 31 people. We had six, 16 soldiers and 15 GI, I mean, uh, civil service. We had Filipinos and Okinawans that were cooks, deck people, engineer. Uh, so, so the skipper of the boat said, if they're going to wear civilian clothes, so are we. Yeah. So we all went around and cut off jeans and, and we. Yeah, you had your own operation. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It had a lot of stuff going on that the, that the regular army didn't do. You know. Yeah. Do you think that you learned anything on that vessel that, like, because it, it sounds like you said just you and one other guy had ever even been on a boat before? Right. Do you feel like that there you learned things, whether it was like mechanical or navigating or whatever that you were able to carry over here? I think, yeah. The, it, when I when I got out of uh, basic training, I went to a seaman school to learn how to be a boat person. Well, I had a captain's license, and after a few minutes, they said, "Just sit over there and shut up and leave everybody alone." <laughs> and so I got through that schooling, and when I got orders to go, um, this teach the instructor of the school wrote me a letter, and he said, "You give it to the harbor master." He said, "Otherwise, you're not going to be on a boat. They're going to put you on." doing something else and that that's that's what happened and that got me the job because the the fellow that was the skipper on the tugboat was a former coast guard guy uh, and he had moved over to the army to get quicker rank so he could retire and um, he was tickled to have somebody that knew so I was a quartermaster I I drove most of you know any any time that was needed to know what you're doing and uh, so that's that's how that materialized i learned that i learned the stuff about heavy boating to where every, all the other boats i'd been around weren't big and stuff uh, we did a, a lot of different crazy stuff on that boat how big was that boat a 143 footer oh wow and and we 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 would we would put out about a a half a mile of, of big cable and the cable went straight down off the stern and it go back to a barge that may have a giant crane on it or old ship that, that they made into machine shops, all kind of silly stuff that we would tow around. It was, it, it, it broadened my horizons, it, you know. When you went into that job, did you, did you have a six pack license, a hundred ton? Six. Six pack. Mm-hmm. So 
When I came, when I came home, I went to the uh, harbor master and got him to give me a letter stating that I had served on that boat, and uh, so I could upgrade my license to a hundred ton license. Did you have to test for it, or did they just? Yes, I, you know, when time to renew the license. I sent the letter. Oh, that's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, huh? Yeah, that that was. It, bouncing off of I, in somewhere in that book or in some other books i've got some pictures of us with our fish to, you know fishing on that tugboat but yeah uh, i have to say this we would in cameron bay was one of the places that we operated out of and to sit at night and watch the war go on you, you would see the tracers you'd see the flares you'd see all of the stuff that war does i wasn't in any of that so to sit and watch the war going on at night i had a a a personal problem with the fact that i wasn't involved i wasn't getting to do my share and which it wasn't true we were doing what we were supposed to be doing but then come daylight we were right there and then boats would come in with wounded soldiers and 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 um and when I talk to people about my, my short little stench of service and stuff, uh, I always tell them I wasn't a real soldier. I was doing what I, what I did, and, and, and it, it was a good thing. But it always, always has bothered me when I hear and see people that, that I knew that were, were soldiers, you know, were in the ugly, and, uh, and people talk bad about, you know, shouldn't do that, shouldn't do that. You— you did your role, which was more than. You oh no, know. no, no! Like you say, I, I, I did no different than those fellows. They were doing what they were told to do, and I just was blessed with being told what I was supposed to do. You know. Yeah. yeah. No, yeah. that's that's intense. So y'all could see it. You could see land from. Oh yeah. Where you were. Got to watch Bob Hope on TV on the bow of my tugboat with his when he's in Vietnam. That, really. That's pretty cool. <laughs> <laughs> Did y'all ever catch any like different kind of species than what we catch over here when y'all are over there fishing? Only thing that we caught that I'd never seen before were some reef fish, the, the, and, and the little cook staff and stuff would be fishing with a hand line uh, uh, off the boat in the harbor and stuff, and they'd catch like tropical, big tro- tropical fish and stuff. Uh, but our trolling was the basic basic stuff, you know, tunas, you know. Didn't catch no wahoo that I remember. I know we caught. Uh, tunas and barracudas and dolphins yeah they cook anything oh they catch. yeah didn't matter what it was yeah you didn't throw nothing back you know <laughs> how was that barracuda oh and then <laughs> you know there's certain other things you learn when you're away from home that you just don't uh-uh, and, <laughs> no. so when you came back you weren't keeping barracuda and cooking it <laughs> no no I, I, we were taught in the bahamas that the barracudas had cicateria i think is the name of the poisoning from the reef and and so you didn't eat them; it make you sick. So I don't know if that's true, and it depends on how hungry you are. There you go. Mm-hmm. Kind of off topic, but mm-hmm. I think you've killed some big deer, huh? <laughs> All in the eyes of the beholder. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I, Mr. Adams has killed the biggest thing I've ever seen in my life, but but he killed it, not me. You know, uh, <laughs> yeah, you know that kind of thing. Well, what was that deer I saw a picture of a second ago? That's a good one. That's I mean, a good. That no, one was no. that yours? Yes, yes. Where it, was that? That up, it was uh, in Greenville, Alabama. Mr. Oh, that was an Alabama deer. Yeah, Mr. J.D. Deerman, 
And now, boy, if there was ever somebody that you could interview that you'd have to cut everything out of it was, <laughs> was, was my buddy, Mr. Dearman. He had a fishing boat in Destin, the All Right, and uh, that was on some land he had up in Greenville. Yeah, yeah. That was a stud. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I sh- nobody at the camp house but me. I had loaded my deer, and, I, and he was just, as far as I was concerned, awesome. I had to go into town and drive around to the co-op to show my deer off to people I didn't know, but I, but I did. You just started driving yeah. around town. Yeah. Look at what I did. Yeah, just kind of uh, had his head poking up above. Oh yeah, lay him, <laughs> prop it up on the side. Yeah, I got a good stream of redneck in me, you know. When did you go to South Africa, and how did that come about? Well, it it was in the in the, the late seventies. In the late 70s and uh, a gentleman came down the dock and he was introducing himself and and he was talking might you know talking like this and and he was a, a hunting guide and he was trying to get access to people that would come to Africa hunting and uh, he got up with um, the local taxidermist uh, and and you know put his name out so and he said if you can get somebody to book a trip you know uh, I'll compensate the hunt and they, if they'll pay their own airfare they can go to go to Africa yeah so I did yeah I found a couple of guys from up in Alabama they were willing to fork over the money and I was willing to buy an airline ticket and next thing I know here we go you know that was it was a fantastic trip it was you know for me it was an eye-opening thing uh i've been spending a lot of nights on the water looking up at the sky but i when i was over there where we were at at night there were no lights you could look any direction you want and did not see a street light you know and the sky was just alive it was just a beautiful beautiful thing to do but the little girl that um was kind of the uh housekeeping lady supervising person Jacaranda, Jacaranda was her name, and uh, and uh, C- Jim Cozy was the guide. Uh, so they took us all around, saw all kind of exotic stuff. Uh, I actually got to shoot a couple of animals, and 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 but I I just you were talking about gratuity earlier, and the guide told us not to give the guy uh, the porters any any gratuity you'll ruin them <laughs> oh He's man what, oh and it, there's a whole culture difference there and you'll ruin them and he was serious about that so we noticed he said you can give them a little pouch of tobacco yeah back in the old days people would roll their own cigarettes not quite the same tobacco that they use in the states when they roll it up but you know <laughs> uh it, it was uh, yeah so we gave them a couple of little packs of tobacco tobacco they rolled it with newspaper they put a little piece of newspaper roll it up make them cigarette and uh and it was just like it was for me thinking back to the 50s when i was a little boy and and, and the racial issues in the states uh you know, it it was uh different it had had three bathrooms you would go to a place and they have three bathrooms it have a white a non-white in a colored bathroom and i'm going huh you know 
Where did I go in a twilight zone? I thought we'd move past this. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh my gosh, but uh, yeah, that was a a great uh, great part, you know. And we went down to the the beach and uh, and to catch marlin down there and whatnot. But we didn't fish. We just pulled up to the beach and looked at it and went on on our way. How long were you down there? Two weeks. So what did you kill? You said you got to kill a couple things. I killed an inyala and a zebra. Oh. And I know everybody's going to say, but you killed a horse? Well, my zebra is skin is in my office. And I'm, all the stuff that I've got, everybody knows what it is. It, the other stuff, they don't know what it is, but they know that's a zebra. Oh, 100%. <laughs> Very identifiable. <laughs> and one of the things that we clearly, uh, all of the meat off of the animals went to the uh, porters, uh, to the helpers. You know, that was, I guess, the gratuity, you know. And me being the redneck that I am, I uh, had to be right there when they were skinning everything out. I, you know, I wanted to help and be involved. The other people were more or less wanting to watch, but I couldn't stand it, you know. It was, uh, it was a lot to be seen, a lot to be seen. Did you eat anything different when you were down there? We, uh, the warthog was, you know, uh, of the meat type stuff. Like I said, if you know what a warthog is, it's you got the big ivory tusk that's sticking up on them. That was a common thing. Impala that looked like a deer, we ate ate that. Uh, so yeah, you know, it, it was all all. But then when it come time for breakfast, just eggs and you know, it's normal just, stuff. Yeah, yeah, just that. <laughs> I have to tell you this story. So I was working for Drummond Braden out of Braden Boat Service and uh, cobia fishing. And one of the things that we would do when you, if you could find a big sea turtle, a lot of times cobia would mate up with, with them and you, they'd travel together. And if there was several fish, one of the things that the deckhand is supposed to do is snatch the turtle. Get your hook in the turtle so you can keep track of where the turtle is at. And if the turtle went out in deep water and went down, well, so did the cobias. But you could go and follow the fishing line and pitch your bait over, and you're fishing right where the cobias are at. Oh. So you stay, you know, some of that redneck stuff yeah. there, you know. And uh, so this particular day, we saw, uh, normally you'd see uh, uh, loggerhead turtles, you know, but this was a leatherback. And that's a big, huge turtle, big old, huge black leatherback turtle and so i had pitched out there and got the turtle hooked and whatnot and drummond said let's let's catch that turtle okay you know yes sir and uh so i got a rope and he got the boat up there and we found that if you stay right there on that turtle after a while he gets tired of going up and down so he just pretty much lay up there so i jump over and this turtle is as big as this table huge and i swim over there and tie a rope to this big huge turtle and we tried to pick it up and we couldn't pick it up we had a little block and tackle for picking up marlin stuff nah. so we drugged that turtle in to the harbor carried it over there to where aj's is at now and had called the guffarium and they sent a truck to get it oh too big Mm. So they uh, called and got a truck that put in septic tanks 
and it got a, a that tack truck has a, a little crane that slides the tank off the back of the truck, puts it down in, in the hole. Well, they backed up, put their thing out, picked this sea, big giant sea turtle up, put it on the back of the truck, took it to the Gulf, Gulf area, you know, and pretty much the end of the story. But I, I went by the Gulf area a few days later, something like that, or maybe a week, just to see the turtle, you know, to see what's going on. He said, man, we had to let that turtle go. I said, what do you mean? He said he was swimming around, banging into the walls of the t big tank, you know. And he said, we were afraid it was going to bust one of them windows out. So the, he said, we got it back out and we put it back in the Gulf. Yeah, somewhere at the house, I've got a picture of that big leather bag. Well, you... I look. Okay. okay. I, I'm going to tell you about the Gulf area. Because on the pier, they used to have a big tank, big old tank, three times as big as this, up on top of the pier that the Guffarium had furnished to put on the fishing pier at Crystal. And they had a pump that pumped seawater in, into the tank. And the idea was for the fish heads to throw fish into the tank that they could carry and put uh. in the Guffarium if you caught something unusual, you know. And, 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 uh, so if several times we'd catch something and they would either send a truck out there to get it or you'd take it down to the gut fair and give, give them the fish. Uh, and so that kind of got, and other people took stuff, you know, to the gut fair. That's how they got some of their, some okay, of Okay, okay. I'll tell you this too real quick. We used to, of course, you know, tell people anything. They, oh, those porpoises are so beautiful. And, we, you know, the fish, you know, like you run all the fish off and all that stuff. I said, you know, you ever been to Gulf Air? You know, no, but we surely was to, would love to go. I said, you know how to catch those turtles? I mean, those porpoises to put them in Gulf Air? And, you know, no, how do they do that? I said, you get right up on the front and see how they, they get in front of the boat and ride up and down? I said, you get a stick with a cork. And when that porpoise goes up there, you stick a cork in their blowhole. <laughs> You stick a cork in their blowhole, and they just start spinning around, and then you can go up there and, and grab them, and pull them in the boat, pull the cork out, take them go there. Really? <laughs> <laughs> you know. Oh, jeez. Really? Yeah, really. Uh, I wonder if anybody ever tried that. <laughs> no, no, but when I when we first, very first got here, there was some fish pins uh, on the, how do I say this? You know where the little point comes out now and they got little beaches? Mm -hmm. All right. They were pins there. And and they if I uh, Buck Destin, uh, Dewey's daddy, uh, they caught some porpoises. They netted them and carried them to the guff area. And I was told that those holding pins were there uh, for the porpoises. I'm not I can't ver verify that. And I can't, to, totally can't verify that that Dewey's daddy, but I'm I'm almost positive they did that they caught some porpoises because uh, they would catch anything to make you know make money and they they were opening the Gulf Arum and they need some porpoises. Huh. There you go. So you were actually there. You saw the first blue marlin that was caught in Destin, right? Yes, yes, I did. I I was at Prior Junior High School. And, and and I believe it was WNUE, most likely that was the radio station in Fort Walton. And they were broadcasting giant fish caught in Destin, da 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 da. Well, my daddy, my, my daddy, 
and I were very tight. My daddy was an outdoorsman, and, and, he, and he tried to take me and be involved in everything fishing-wise. And uh, so he loaded me up, and we went to Destin. And they were rolling that uh, blue marlin in and out of the chiller or the cooler uh, for people to see. They wouldn't just let it hang. It stayed there for a couple of days. And, uh, yeah, I was right there with, in the crowd to, to see that. Uh, then I learned the story, and, and somebody else probably needs to tell you this story, but they were fishing, King Michael fishing, right out of Destin, uh, and uh, hooked that fish. And they fought him. They Another boat came and brought them uh, gaffs and stuff, and they kept wandering offshore fighting that, fighting that, fight. and they, they caught it, you know. Uh, and it was a bit— it, I don't remember the weight. I, I, they didn't weigh the fish till they got to Panama City. They had to take it to Panama City uh, to weigh it. But it's, it looks like a 500-pound-plus fish, you know. Uh, and, uh, and that put the cork out of the jug. It, from then on, everybody wanted to catch one of those, you know. Uh, it was it, Yeah, but I, w- I was there to see that. that was, uh, Is it true— I heard that when it was brought in, first they didn't know what it was. No, I don't believe that. I don't believe that. Uh, I think they knew what they had. They just had never caught one. You know, there was a boat named the Little Colonel that fished out of the uh, Fort Walton Yacht Basin. Uh, Jimmy Cox, I think, was the captain of it. And uh, he uh, had caught a couple of uh, uh, little blue marlins and stuff but nothing like that not caught by a fisherman out of uh out of destin uh up until then i wonder how long they battled that thing it was it was a long battle and they wandered it offshore and they and of course you know they didn't have the big tackle it, it, they yeah. were just very lucky yeah <laughs> the fish was very unlucky you know and that's that's okay that's a cool picture you brought of it I'll yeah yeah share yeah that. yeah <laughs> You mentioned that there was a, a fishing derby back in the day, Kelly Docks. Oh, yeah. Yeah, the Kelly Kelly Boat Service, KBS. They had bottom lids with their initials in the bottom lids so people would quit stealing them. You know, <laughs> pretty smart idea. <laughs> yeah. and, and, uh, and they had a fishing jubilee, and I think it went on for a week, a one-week thing. And I had the opportunity to fish with Chubby Destin. Uh, I fished with a lot of different people. Uh, and, and Chubby was, was special. He was the, the leader, the organizer, you know. And, uh, and so uh, I fished with him. But there, there was a picture I acquired uh, of a nice catch of fish. And in the bottom of the fish, in the picture, you see a turtle laying over there <laughs> <laughs> upside down. And, and, and that was not uncommon. The net fishermen and stuff, you know, it was good to eat. It yeah. was just another thing that you you know that you targeted, uh, but times changed rapidly after that. You know you you, you didn't do that. What did those recipes looked like back then? Oh yeah, well you, they have a lot of good meat in the legs and the neck. Was that a billfish tournament? That one that you're it, talking about? It or? was no. It, it was primarily a a, a bottom fishing tournament because Kelly Boat Service basically had uh, head boats, and but Chubby and a few others docked right there. I don't know if they restricted the the membership of that tournament to that dock. I can't remember that. Um, it may have, you know, it may have. Uh, 
but it wasn't anything really big. It was just something to add to pub, public, you know, to come, come and go fishing with with them. And that would have been 60s. Mm-hmm. You've mentioned um, a lot of different boats that you fished on. I think you might even have a list. Uh, yeah, I'm at the stage where I got to have a list if it's anything I need to remember. Can you can you share with us the list? Well, I'm a, I've got a, a list, and I've got I'm going to read it off to you as best I can. Uh, it's not that I wasn't a likable guy. I just was at the point where every now and then somebody needed somebody, I'd go fishing with them. So some of these boats I only fished a day or two just to help out. It's not that they run me off. I don't, I don't mm-hmm. want you to believe that. <laughs> but the first boat that I fished on was a Folly with a gentleman named Mike Destin, Captain Mike Destin. And uh, and he was it, it was a blessing to me because he put up with me being seasick and everything else and gave me the opportunity to, and it, it just went from there. And... Uh, Mr. Herbert Woodward, he had a boat named the Carol Ann. I fished with him. His son, uh, Danny Woodward, on the Sea Pile. Then Mr. Cecil Woodward on the Linwood. I fished with him. I fished on Drummond Braden, uh, the Crosswinds. And, and the Braden family had uh, three, uh, three boats at the time I was with them. I think they ended up with four. But I fished on all of the other, other ones. Uh, the Windy Girl. And James Marler, uh, K.P. Burnett uh, on the Sailfisher 2, Sailfisher 2, was a big part of my career growing up. Wonderful guy, had a lot of fun uh, with K.P. Uh, I fished with Buddy Gentry. Uh, First boat he had was a Sailfisher, and then he got a boat named the Marliner, and I filled in and and, uh, fished on that with him. Captain Jack Kaysen on the Tiki 2-2, uh, fish, fish with him. Uh, a gentleman, Darrow Price, he had a boat named the Lorna D, and, uh, and, and fished, fished with him. Uh, Captain Jimmy Trammell, oh my gosh, he, was, he, he made an impression on me. He was a, a tough little guy and highly respected and good fisherman, and I fished with him a little bit. I got to go fishing with Chubby Destin. A few times, uh, he had something that was interesting. He put a PA system to where he could key the mic on his CB radio and and talk to the deckhand or the people, which was an innovation. So we wadded paper towels and stuck in the speaker. This is gonna get it. That was y'all's innovation. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We, our our innovation was how to shut that up. Uh, I fished with Andy Anderson on the Cloud Nine. Uh, fished with Lewis Dykes on the Rip Tide. Uh, a gentleman named Scott Meddy on the Sailfisher. Uh, I, I can't remember the skipper's name, but uh, at the end of Benning Drive, on the north end of Benning Drive, is a, a rest camp, Middle Army rest camp, and they had a boat named the Follow Me, and and I fished on it for a, a, a term, you know. Uh, and and I know there's but there are others. I, I, I hope I didn't forget somebody. But uh, it every one of those people, every one of those people, if we had the time, I could come up with something that imprinted on me. You know, it it's it. There's something about uh, being close to somebody that you're working with to where they depend on you and you depend on them. I I, I want to tell you this. 
one of the things that all of that showed me, and it came from the fishing boat thing, is I came to the boat one morning, and I was late. And the boat was sitting there with the motor running, and the people were sitting in the cockpit, and the captain was on the boat, and they couldn't go nowhere without me. And, and I come sidling my butt down there, and uh, you just see the look on those people's face. They didn't have to tell me. They weren't happy with me at all. And then you get on the boat. Well, you know what? It's a small thing, a boat. You can't get away from them, you know. And, and, and I'd gotten off on a bad, bad leg. And it, it made me aware of when you're dependent on, you need to be where you need me. Not to say that I hadn't failed much uh, a lot of times since then, but it, that did as far as growing up as a young fellow that need to be there need to be there on time you know uh, oh yeah yeah. it's definitely a a huge part of it and a huge responsibility and and something that you know especially during the peak season everybody's going all day every day but there's no like there's no calling in you know no 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 (laughs) because if something it's not easy to find somebody to fill your spot at five o'clock in the morning no that 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 you're absolutely correct and that can that person fulfill what you need just like i was telling earlier everybody fish different you get on a boat the rod and reels if you hadn't been on there you're in a different place tackles in a different place yeah uh yeah it's it uh jimmy trammell called his helper not a deckhand is a helper you know and and there's a lot to be said for that term because uh, you're helping make the fishing trip a success you got to have everybody you know do uh but uh and also for me the public every day every day you get on the boat with somebody with a different story where from a different place with a different attitude about what we're fixing to go do interesting job being working for the public in a tight situation like that uh I don't know how you could pair it to other jobs. Uh, maybe like a waitress, but that's only for a few minutes and they leave. We're stuck on a little boat for hours or days, you know. Uh, you definitely learn how to interact with people. And like you said, every every captain kind of has their own different way of doing things and things might be set up different on their boats. And I'm sure over time, working on all those different boats, you take a piece of this from here and a piece of that from uh, there and you develop your way. Right. That, that's great. And every now and then, it's the right way. <laughs> you, you know, every now and then, it's the right not, not necessarily every time, but yeah, you do learn it, 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 how to do. I'm sure you take all those into account, too, later when you're the one running the show. I, well, a gentleman with that same thing was down in the Keys. I was down in the Keys when this that came up in conversation with a boat captain in the Keys, and he took a piece of fishing line with a hook on it. And he pitched it up on the dock while we were all sitting around talking. And he snatched it back over and it bounced back over. And he stowed it or jerked it back forth two or three times. And then he took that hook and he flipped it out there on the dock and he pulled it real slow across the dock. Well, it got caught in a crack. He said, that's a fish's mouth. He said, if that hook is in his mouth and you just pull it along, it'll find a place. If you jerk it, you'll jerk it out of his mouth. You know, some, you may hook him, but most times or not, you, you jerk it away from him. There you go. Mm-hmm. Pretty pretty simple explanation. <laughs> yes, sir. Yes, sir. All right. Yeah. That yeah. makes sense. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. 
So I've got some questions eventually I want to get to, but are there All any right, things well, that I, stand out in your mind? I've taken up too much of your time. No, you haven't. You haven't taken. What else you got? Uh, I, I don't. I, you know, I, you were you were talking about uh, things that other people would do to other people, but I wasn't one of them. Remember right. The, right. Remember, yes. You remember that? Yes. It, it, well, there's a little little bitty guy over here in Destin, and he's in a, a Destin local, you know. And uh, he uh, he took a toilet off of a boat. He did a lot of maintenance work on boats. And uh, he took my captain's chair off the Makaira and stuck a toilet <laughs> in the bridge of my boat. Well, I didn't notice it right away. And then when I did, I thought, well, what the hell? I'm just going to make him come back and take it all, you know. Well, Buddy Gentry come down there to show that GNS boat, and there it sits with the toilet sitting in the captain's seat. Oh, my god! <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Was that the Makaira? Yeah, uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, but, you know, it, it, was, it was a hoot. It, it, it was a good thing. Well, then later on, that same captain was down in the Bahamas, and, and he wanted to come home to see his family and whatnot. And he said, Tommy, will you look after my boat while I'm gone? I said, sure, yeah, you know. And he was going only gone a couple of days. Well, it turned to be a week or so. And uh, so I would get up in the morning and kind of walk the dock and board. And so I thought, I'm going to pick up all these, these coconuts and I'm going to carry them over to what's-his-name's boat, you know. <laughs> well, he was gone a lot longer. When, when I, so every morning I would pick up all the coconuts and carry them to his boat. And I had them. Four of them on each outrigger, swinging in the breeze, tied to the outriggers. I had them in the bridge. I had them in the bilge. I had them in the toilet. I had them ev- everywhere. But for, now this wasn't me, but it was somebody that sounded like I was. Right, did, right. You know? And, and uh, so when he got back, all of the little l- local bohemian people had seen me collecting these and doing this to this guy's boat. And they're going, holy shit, you know, something bad's going to happen. We're going to see this when this when this boy come back, and we want to see what happened. <laughs> so he came back, and, and like I said, he said three, four weeks later, he was still finding coconuts. Oh, my goodness. I'd, I'd run out of places to hide them, you know. <laughs> well, shortly after that, he had done some work for me on the Makaira. I had a seal in the steering pump out, and uh, so he had fixed it and whatnot. I came down to take uh, the boat out to, for a fishing trip, and I was pulling out away from the dock. The boat didn't respond properly and, and kind of banged up against the side of the dock. And I thought, what the hell? And uh, I thought I left a dock line or something on. Well, when I got out, somebody had taken my steering lines and swapped them. So when you turn right, you went left, and when you turn left, you went right. Oh, no. Oh. <laughs> But you realized it before you got out of the slip. No, no, I was in front of the slip. I, oh. I got clear of the slip because right. the momentum took me out, and I was sitting there going, what in the hell? Finally, it dawned on me. Well, I had to spend all day having to think about which way to turn the wheel. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and, and that was the guy with the coconuts. You mm, know. Coconut guy, mm-hmm. he who will not be named. No. <laughs> <laughs> but his name's Tim Hanna, but, that, that, but, but, I, but, I, but we won't tell nobody. 
<laughs> yeah. That's funny. Yeah. <laughs> it, it, there was, uh, there's all kinds of stuff. I had, had big bunches of bananas. Bananas considered bad luck on a boat. Yeah. I had came back in a Pensacola tournament, and I had a whole stalk of bananas swinging off my pulpit. <laughs> of yours? Oh, uh, yeah, off the Macau. Uh. Yeah. And another friend mm. had visited, you know. I mean, you hadn't done anything to, you know, kind of no, no, to warn. No, no, I, you know, totally innocent. Yeah, <laughs> and there was another boy over in Bay Point, and this was early in the tournament stuff, you know, and it was it was like going to the country club and a bunch of fish heads going to the country club, but we didn't know how to act in Bay Point and all this fancy stuff. And Harry Wright uh, had a boat named running a boat named Sweet Thing, private boat, and everybody had gone to the kick, kick banquet kickoff thing. Nobody on the dock. And he had all of his gold reels with his string orange line. And his boat was all, it was just beautiful. You know, and we had our, you know, igloo ice chest and six alts and different things. So somebody put all the reels in free spool and took the line and run them up into the outriggers and then run them down to the bow pit and then run them back to the helm station to where it kind of looked like a spider web. Was that like the night before y'all had to leave? Yeah. <laughs> I bet they were very appreciative of well, that. I told him that Harold Destin did it. And he wasn't going to mess with Harold Destin. <laughs> <laughs> Was Harold Destin there? Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. yeah always something. Always something. Yeah. Yeah. That's fun. How they, how they do in that tournament? Uh, I don't. I don't remember. <laughs> I don't remember. I don't think we did any good either. So you know, you know, no big deal there. Well, anything else stand out in your mind? I'm sure the minute we get in the car, I go, think? "Gosh, I should have told Rachel this and that." But I, I'll assure you, all of the people that I grew up with fishing and whatnot would sit right here and tell you similar stuff. It's it was it was a good time, great time. I I, I love the 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 chance to have done that you know uh i used to get tickled at people that go you have the best job in the world you have the best job in the world i said would you like to go down and clean out the toilet (laughs) would you like to go down in the engine room and change the oil after you've been fishing and it's hot and you got to go fishing in the morning no (laughs) there's more to it people they don't realize how much that your boat captains had because they're one-man crew in a lot of mm-hmm. instances, you know, there's a lot to be do. You have to, you have to be uh, willing to learn and how to do a lot of different things. Yeah. There's a lot of definitely less glamorous moments. Oh like yeah, going all day every day during the summer. We got to change your oil at some time, so maybe you're down there at two a.m. doing yeah. that. Yeah. Or if something breaks, but but when gotta... <laughs> somebody drives down, you know, from Andalusia. And, and and they see what you're doing, and, and they only see the superficial. They don't get get to see the you know the other part, mm-hmm. and, and it's there. It's alive and well. It's yeah. definitely there. But I think you know, obviously the the good is outweighing the uh, those other moments. Those same people are doing their job because that's what they love to do. Is if if they're a good boat captain, they love what they're doing. I think oh, because yeah. it's 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 demanding. Very, I don't very, think you can successfully do it and not love what you're yeah, doing. Yeah, I, I agree. I agree. I agree. Might not be good at it like me, but but I have a good time doing it. <laughs> That's not true. <laughs>
Well, if you think of anything, feel free to throw it out there. Uh, I'm going to ask you some questions. All right. So they might spawn some memories too. Mm-hmm. What's your favorite fish to target? Well, we used to have cobias. And I, I loved because cobia fishing was a lot like hunting. You, you, if you if you weren't paying attention, the deer would get by you. You know, you had to be you had to be accurate with your cast. It, it required more than just dropping the bait over the side of the boat. So, uh, it, not necessarily the cobia, but the the method of fishing. I enjoyed that. When was the last time you went cobia fishing? Oh gosh, it's probably been ten years. Well, that was probably the last time it was good, too. <laughs> well, you know, it's, it's things just, I, I moved into building houses and marlin fishing, and you know, I, and I got away from it. But, yeah, I, I still think about it. And, and Wayne was telling you they still got them up on the East Coast, and, and, and he loves it. He loves it. Have you been up there? No, but I'm, one of these days, maybe I can get loose and go up there and go fishing with him. There you go. I have to tell you this about Wayne. He took me elk hunting. And, and and we were bow bow hunting elk hunting, and we were sneaking through the woods, and 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 they would call to the elk, and then we would ease along, and I was behind Wayne, picking up little round balls of elk poopy, <laughs> and I was putting them in Wayne's hunting coat pocket. He didn't know. Uh uh-uh. <laughs> When no. did he figure it out? When he finally reached in his pocket, <laughs> you know. You gotta be serious, man. You gotta be serious. <laughs> I'm serious. Did y'all get one? No. <laughs> oh. But we had a good time. Yeah, we had a good time. Wayne, Wayne's an excellent hunter. He's an excellent hunter and a good friend of mine. He had to put up with me, but uh, he he took he he lined up that trip for me, and I had a great time. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. I think he's a seems to be pretty meticulous and oh things yeah, he's a lot more serious than Uncle Tommy. You know. <laughs> It's a good combo, probably. What's your most memorable catch? Gosh, you know, for each group of people, it's a special thing. And that's really hard hard to pin it down. I think I'm going to go all the way back to the start. I caught a cobia off a Crystal Beach Pier that was about 25 pounds and got my mother to drive me to the Jitney Jungle in Shalimar, where Mike Woodham was bagging groceries. And I got him to come out there and look at my cobia that he ain't caught one and I had. <laughs> was that your first one that you yeah, caught? Yeah, uh-huh. That was my very first cobia that I caught. And, and yeah, and that's, that was a, in the early days, the start of everything, and he wasn't happy with me at all. How long was it before he got his? I, I don't remember, but it, it was and didn't <laughs> it was care. After. Didn't care. It didn't matter. Yeah. Well, yeah. What's the most unusual thing you've ever seen while fishing? Hmm. Well, there's so there's so much you can see that other people don't get to see, but I was running Oscar Osteen's boat, the the Hebe. For some, for some reason, and it was one of those slick, mirror calm days, and a few clouds, and there was a flat bottom cloud that had a water spout hanging down out of it, and uh, you know that's kind of cool, you know, you see what. So I started trolling over to the water spout, yeah, mm-hmm. and 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 I got, I got, a hundred feet, 
away from the the water spout, and a seagull was sitting on on the water, and got up and it flew, boom, right into the water spout, and I and it knocked him back down to the water. It didn't pick him up, which you would think a, a water spout or tornado would do, and not many people have seen that. Well, did it? Go in the other direction after it knocked it down? No, it knocked it back. I'm just going to sit here. (laughs) Damn, this flying around. (laughs) And so I took a picture of the water spout. I mean, yeah, to the water spout. So when I got back to the dock later on, I showed uh, the boat owner, Oscar Osteen, the picture. And he said, damn, man, you, you you got right next to that thing. And I said, yeah. He said, what boat you were on? I said, yours. (laughs) Well, that seagull might have been like, you know, one day I was out there looking at a water spout and and this boat. (laughs) Exactly. You know, and if I made that seagull happy, that's okay with me. That is crazy. (laughs) Have you ever reeled in a billfish? Yes. uh, On the 100 proof. Oh. On the the 100 proof, I had three men that were 100 proof each. They'd been out all night long. And I got on the boat and we got out and I got to where I wanted to go and I put the lines out and they were still out. Outrigger popped out, hooked fish up, they're still out. So I said, okay. So I stood up, fought the fish, ran the boat, boated the blue marlin, and as I'm cleaning up all this, one of them woke up and said, who caught that? I said, I did. So yeah. Yeah, I caught, I, caught, I caught me a blue marlin right by myself. Did the, they have anything to say about that? We caught a sailfish later on during the day, you know. There you go. Yeah, yeah. But, you know. So while we're talking about the 100 Proof, obviously, I love the name. Yeah. Um, The owner of that, wait, that was the one that the guy who hired you was not the guy who yes. owned the boat. Yes, So did the guy who owned the boat, know that you had been hired well i'm glad you brought that up he i I got the word that mr long was coming down and i had knew that they would buddy he went you know you need you need to know about this so mr long came down and we talked a little bit he said i heard i owned the boat i thought i might ought to come down and see it (laughs) you know one of the sweetest, nicest people I ever met, Mr. Charles Long, and 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 he was just he was a lot different than Wild Bill, you know. And and he enjoyed fishing. He, he didn't know much about it. He enjoyed taking his friends and going out. He had a good time with the boat, but uh, I think he knew some shenanigans. It wasn't he wasn't totally in the dark. But, uh, yeah, it, that was another one of those things where you meet people that you had no thought and you have a relationship that turns into a long-term relationship. Yeah. Did he come up with the boat name? No, Wild Bill. Wild Bill's the one who came yeah. up with the boat name. And, and his answer for that was, uh, Bill, what, where'd you get the name 100 Proof? He said, because I do everything 100%. Oh, that was his answer. Yeah. <laughs> And everybody went, oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. So that's a boat that Alan, my husband, he always loved that boat name from the time that he was a small kid. He was was a sweetheart. He called me uh, when he was wanting to use that boat name. And he didn't have to do that. He called me, and and that's a you you got a special man there. He's a good boy. It's still there, and it still catches fish. 
It's the hay baby down there, Charles Morgan. Charles has two, G- two GNSs, a big one and a little one. If you could pick one thing you've never caught to catch, what would it be? Mm. Mm. I would like to, to see the, the big blue marlin, I mean the big black marlins in Australia. Uh, I've seen a lot of big fish and whatnot, but it's right there at the top of the pecking order. And, and I don't know if I want to catch one because I've seen how much work it is to catch them. I like to drive boat. I like to wire fish, uh, let somebody else do the grunt work. But I would love to, to visually see that done. Yeah. If you could go fish anywhere that you've never been, where would it be? Mm. That, that, that was the Australia? same answer. Yeah, yeah. If you had to do one thing other than be a fisherman for a living, what would it be? Obviously, you've held a couple jobs, so. Oh, yeah, yeah. I, I would like to continue to do something that I enjoy. I've been, uh, like I said, I've been blessed with working. And I, I love to build a, I build a house for people, and they're appreciative, and they're happy. Uh, that last one I built took two and a half years. And, and halfway through the house, we topped it out, and it had a, a big tower on top of the house called a guff watch where you could get all the way up on the third fourth floor and look out over the guff and i had my son and my wife and we went carried a table and two chairs up there and put a bouquet of flowers and a basket of fruit a bottle of wine and two glasses for the man and his wife oh that sounds nice yeah (laughs) And, and i was tickled to death to do that and, and my son and my wife got a big kick out of it, and so did that homeowner. I bet they did. Yeah, it was just one of those, duh, <laughs> it's, it's going to work. That's and awesome. I, uh-huh. When did you finish that one? Uh, it was in 07. That's Two, awesome. Yeah. Mm-hmm. If you could go fishing with anyone, dead or alive, who would it be? My dad. He liked to fish, too. My, I was blessed with a good family. I really... My dad loved to fish. We lived in North Alabama on the Tennessee River. And uh, my dad would sit in the front of a little boat and paddle with one hand and fly fish with the other hand. And I would sit in the back of that boat with a cane pole and fish with crickets and worms. And that's, that was our routine for fishing. And when you do those things, you know your daddy and your daddy knows his son uh, uh, you know uh, quality quality time uh going hunting and spending time i know you your husband does that with his boys i see it all the time and i'm just so excited when i see that um uh, it, it it's just um that i i i wish that i could be my dad to my son because my dad was good to me yeah. I'm sure that you've done your dad very well, proud. Well, no, no, you might ought to talk to myself. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we all know there's different things. Yeah, I all know there's a... What about the fishing industry makes you worry about the future of it, and what's the single biggest threat you see to fisheries? Technology. Technology bothers me, one, because I have trouble with technology. It, it, it updates itself so fast that I, I can't, especially as I got older, I can't keep up with what all it can do. But it takes somebody that understands technology and makes a fisherman out of them that don't know how to fish. 
it, it takes that person that can read those numbers or that screen and, and takes him right to where things are at that we had to learn the hard way. They may not even know how to tie a knot in the fishing line. Uh, and, and it's also put a lot more boats in the water. A lot more uh, people are fishing with all that technology. They're, I think they're catching up. Even though they've got limits, they're still spread out amongst a lot of there, There's The pond isn't being restocked. We, we, we have a, a pond out there in the Gulf of Mexico, but nobody's restocking it. And, and I, that's what I would worry about. Yeah, I know, you know people talk about the amount of fish that were caught way back in the day. But if you look at the amount of boats catching those exactly. amount of fish versus the effort today catching a smaller amount of fish. No, no, it's... no. I think most of the people in my generation will tell you we, we slaughtered fish. We wasted a lot of fish. But I don't think we hold a candle to when you look at the marinas today. Uh, scattered up all all of them down the coast with all the technology and stuff uh, that are fishing on a regular basis. Uh, I I don't know how to compute that, but I I think the resource is being not replenished. What makes you the most hopeful about the future of the fishing industry? Mm. Well, the most hopeful thing is that I'll still be around to see. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> to know to know what's going on. The longer I'm here, the, the more I like it. Uh, I, I I think it goes to what I just said. I, I think hopefully people will become aware and and they'll figure out a way. Uh, and it maybe the answer is some form of restocking. You know, the the marine people might isolate uh, a, a couple of areas and use those as nurseries and and propagate and restock. I don't know. But technology is not going to stop, and maybe it'll come along with a way to do that. Yeah, you know, they've already sectioned off a few areas in the Gulf where you can't fish that are known to be, like, breeding grounds and stuff. Right. So. The problem is that those fish leave there. When they leave there, uh uh-oh, you know. uh, No fences, right? Yeah, 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 (laughs) yeah, yeah, yeah. So, All right. Well, is there anything else? stands out in your mind you'd like to add no but i i would hope that the the fishermen that i have fished with the captains that i've worked for uh, uh the, the boat owners that i've worked for know how much i appreciate for having had that opportunity uh that they have allowed me to share share what we've shared today because uh, without them i wouldn't be talking to you you know. Well, I'm sure that, that goes both ways. Well, I don't know. There's probably a lot of them, so I'm sure I'm glad he's gone. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much for sitting and talking to me today. I really Rachel, appreciate I, it. I appreciate it. Uh, I'm excited to have been here. Thank you. Thank you. It was some fun back in them days, I tell you. You always remember the beautiful light southeast winds? So I thought, well, I'll come back when the groupers run. You know, how can you uh, completely go over a lifetime in an hour? Are there any other people or things that you might want to mention? I know that you uh, you had a, a list of some people. IGFA rep, was there? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. There, there's uh, Joey Dunlap. Joey Dunlap had a, and I cannot 
right now pull the name of his boat. Uh, maybe the people that hear this will remember the name of his boat. But Joey was the IGFA rep. Uh, and uh, so if you had a record fish, uh, he would come down and measure it and take an affidavit and do all the paperwork that that was required to see if it qualified and, and make it a world record. And there's been several out of Destin that Joey was involved with to do. Uh, yeah, so he he was uh, uh, a player, not in that uh, maybe you know had most people hadn't heard of, but uh, the waymaster at, at Paul Priestess. Paul Priestess worked for the marine fisheries for a while, and then he became popular by being around the docks, and he's out of Panama City. And uh, so he got to be the guy to call on when you were having a contest or tournament or something, and he would be the waymaster. And uh, he, he, did, he did one for me one time. I was weighing a fish in in Bay Point, and uh, he's up on the top of the scales, and this was before the digital scales. It was uh, cotton scales, and, and you moved a bit of iron weight out on an arm and to get it, balance it out, and whenever it balanced out, it was, that was the way. And it, you sit there for a couple of minutes while all this is going on. It's kind of suspenseful, you know. You want to know what the fish was, and and I'll never forget. He looked straight down at me and he said, "You're gonna like this," and I went, "You're gonna like this." I, you know, I, and in the 594, 596, that was the biggest fish I'd ever been involved with, and. Um, yeah, I like that, you know. So, <laughs> so Paul w was a, a player. Um, I'm trying to think of this gentleman's name. He had the canvas shop in, in, on Benning, and he was one that did all the bimini tops or the, the the curtains. There's so many people involved in what we did that weren't fishermen, you know. And, and what he did uh, was. Uh, he gave a silver dollar. Now, that's how crazy time goes by. He gave a silver dollar if you caught a blue marlin. Yeah, because we didn't catch a lot of blue marlins. You know, as a general rule, the few people that fished offshore didn't catch one each year. You know, some people catch five or six, you know, depending on the boat and how many charters you had and da 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 da. da. And, uh, Ken Nix, that's the gentleman's name. Uh, he uh, he was the canvas man, and and he was you know somebody that a lot of people did business with and whatnot. But I always thought that was pretty cool. That but, is cool. Yeah. Speaking of giving a silver dollar for a blue marlin, what was it you were telling me earlier that you used to tell people when they were asking about blue marlin fishing, catching oh. one? <laughs> you know, uh, you get people on the boat and they'd have, and they weren't really knowledgeable in what we were going to do they were guests or whatever and several times they would uh say do you think we'll do you think we'll catch a blue marlin i said well i hope so uh i was where, where y'all from yeah and i said do you hunt yeah 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 i do i said uh have you ever killed a 12 pointer no I said, you ever seen a 12-pointer? I said, I hunt, I hunt too, and they're pretty. He said, no, I never, no, I never seen a 12-pointer. I said, well, that's what a blue marlin is. I said, they, they are the sought-after, biggest, baddest, imaginate, you know, and in those days they were. And, uh, and you would see them go, 
Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, you asked me, you know. Yeah, yeah. Don't ask me when the last one I caught, because it's been a while. You know. Uh. What uh, what deer do you think you would compare a white marlin to, or a sailfish, if they had asked? Well, you know, it's, yeah. It's then you say, do you ever go squirrel hunting? You know. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. So, there like, you go. Uh, everybody want, you know. It's like talking with deer hunting. You know, you talk to your buddies, you just see this. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm.